What's happening, you fat bastards? This is Mike. <coughs> and this is Jeb. And you're listening to Podcast Croissant. Yo! <laughs> How's a post-apocalyptic Australia, dude? Oh, man. Um, yeah, post-apocalypse after the bushfires, and here we are. Yeah. How's things, uh, how's things in your world? It's it's slow. The, the the world as I know it is slowly devolving. Yeah, it's slowly um, going back to the Stone Age here in the UK. Slowly oh, but surely. Wild, yeah, I'm not isolated. Not in self isolation yet, but I am sat on a huge mound of toilet rolls that I've uh, um, collected <laughs> over the last few days. I'm only joking. I'm not. I think we're down to his last toilet roll. Actually, then we start using his hand. The toilet roll thing happened everywhere, didn't it? I feel like yeah, it started yeah. in Australia, but it sort of, uh, yeah, the whole toilet paper thing took the world by storm. Well, I was in the supermarket the other day and they'd sold out of toilet roll, uh, baked beans and all types of pasta. But I've got a theory. Mm-hmm. I think people are constructing suits of armour. They're using the loo roll to weave a suit, fashioning a hard shell from the pasta and then they're using the juice from the baked beans to cement it all together. <laughs> Definitely, and that what that um that that fence, it's like a gigantic body mask. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We, yeah. The world's had, going uh, crazy. Our prime minister, uh, he, he no, say it like you nation. said it last episode. I liked that. Hey, prime minister. <laughs> say, hey, prime minister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he 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 addressed the nation today, and I got to say he. Uh, he did. He did the leadership thing better a, a little bit. You know, he's done it a little bit better this time around than he did for the whole bushfires thing. But um, the, at the point that he started talking about the hoard, the hoarding, he said, and as far as it goes with the hoarding, he, he just said, "Stop it." He's in a deadly <laughs> sit. Stop it. And I saw someone make a comment, and it sounded like an angry dad, like, "Stop it, or I'll turn this country around." Cons. Which. Yeah, to some degree he has, but... Uh, you know, our country's completely slagging off Boris Johnson saying that, uh, and the government saying that they're doing it all wrong and we should be uh, stepping things up quicker. But I, I kind of see where they're coming from. I'm, I'm not going to say uh, I support Conservatives or anything like that. I don't get into politics, but, you know, I, I don't think... I think they're doing the best they can in a crisis. What, what can people do? Do you know what I mean? We're all fucked. So... You know, just fucking get your play, get your Xbox turned on. Sit down, put your feet up, <laughs> play a bit of FIFA, play a bit of Call of Duty, and just ride it out. You know, I'm Jim and I'm Brown's saying this from someone who's self-employed. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting paid at the well. I, I, I'm okay at the moment, but I foresee that I won't get a penny coming in in the next few weeks. But what what can they do? They can't take your house off you. They can't, you know. We're in a we're in a a, a world crisis, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's just ride it out. Let's do uh, um, episode more episodes of podcast croissant and uh, you know cheer people up. Well, yeah? I mean that's that's that, I, I just really liked your sentiment. Sentiment. Get your Xbox on. Yeah, get your Xbox on, well, dickheads. Just... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get your, I play jigsaws with your kids. You know, get out and mow your lawn. I'm keen to do more uh, podcast croissant, but uh, we tried to do this two nights ago, and I didn't have any fucking internet. Yeah, your internet's got uh, coronavirus. 
Thank you, TPG. Fucking useless. They're, apparently, they're not take. I was on hold for about half an hour on the phone, and I thought, oh, I'll see if they've got an online chat. And then the online chat said, uh, due to COVID-19, our staff are all working online and we're not taking phone calls. So I'm sitting on a half-hour thing on, on hold before, on the before phone. Before I make a pop culture reference, have you seen Terminator films? Yes. All right, okay. Well, I'll make a pop culture reference now then. Well, it's obviously Skynet. It's Skynet. They're here. They're taking over. It's exactly what um, that what that dude called who produced it. Um, James, James Cameron predicted. Yeah. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. We're going to see Arnold Schwarzenegger marching down the street in a few days. Um, either that or we'll see zombies. You know, it's, it's all happening, man. Yep. So the machines are responsible for biological warfare. Yeah, well, well, I don't know. Yeah, makes somebody somebody makes is. That's my theory. Somebody's responsible for this. Wait, um, was that the premise of the Terminator movies that there was biological warfare? No, no, it was as not. Well? I, I don't, no, I don't, no they just they, they just start blowing up bombs. Yeah, there was no chemical mm. warfare. Um, but the worst thing about this country is because all the pubs are shut in, we can't even go sit in the Winchester and and ride it out. Uh, you didn't get that one, did you? Did you get that no, pop culture reference? Right. Well, I'm not going to explain yeah. it to you, uh, but there I will be people that was out a there that did get it. Oh, it's shit. it's from a film, so yeah. Yep, straight over my head. So uh, should we do a bit of uh, housekeeping? Yeah. Well, no, I just wanted to say because you said you don't get political and um, no, I don't. talking about what else what else they do. It's really interesting to see. Uh, I I always love recommending a podcast, and Sam Harris did a couple of episodes around. One was coronavirus, and one was about how to deal with a pandemic. And then he's done a follow-up chat with his mate. I think it's Paul Bloom, is that his name? But they talk about the reality of what's going on without the hype. And Sam Harris is actually being pretty heavy, um, heavy-handed in terms of the social distancing. And he's pulled his kids out of school, and he's right into that side of things. Whereas I saw the perspective of what, and you were just saying about business and you're you know you're not working and it actually means that you won't have an income there is you know like that uh the conservatives are concerned about the economy and that there are there are a couple of sides to it you know like shutting everything down for two weeks means that you know we might slow it all down briefly but if everything goes instantly back to normal again it's only going to blow up again is one point of view. Um, yeah, this is, this, thing but is it's not. We, it's, take... we can't just shut down for two weeks. It's gonna be. We're looking at months. You know what I mean? Mm, it's, mm. It, it, the the companies that I work for are limping on, trying to, uh, you know, stay open as long as possible. And it, and it is inevitable that they will have to close at some point. But they're trying to make it so that they don't close for as long. Yes. Um, I, I, because you know, if they close today and the school closed today. It might be another month, two months before we get, you know, get to go back. So I see where the government are coming from in trying to stagger that, and you know, mm. you know, and trying to um, pre- prevent that um, crisis point where the NHS is going to get absolutely slammed. I totally, yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah, it just it gives you a different perspective. I think a lot of people are. Uh, becoming more and more educated, cutting out you know unnecessary meetings, meetings that could have been an email. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of uh, of that one. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I also totally get working it. from home, yeah. working from home if you're able. Oh, um, do you know what that? I've, the amount of times that phrase has been thrown around on on television and everything in the UK, work from home. How the fuck am I supposed to work from home, Mister Prime Minister? 
<laughs> I can't work from home. I, you know, there's so many people that can't. You know, it's not as easy as that. Yeah. No, no, anyway, no. But it's yeah. if you can. All the, you know, all the all the yeah, city that, workers for, are getting It's on only the now that, that, that people are saying if you can. For so long, it was oh, work from home. It's like well, not everybody can, mate. Mm. Anyway, mm. yeah, I'm not gonna yeah. not gonna get angry. I'm just gonna sit here on my toilet rolls, my mountain of toilet rolls that I fashioned into a throne, and uh, and talk about faith no more. <laughs> well, Mr. Bungle okay. first. Yeah, but anyway, let's do some yes. housekeeping. Well, we're going to do some house- housekeeping. Oh, I, okay, well, I had a couple. Oh, just before we start that, I did... Mm-hmm. Well, it's part of housekeeping, really. I want to mention another podcast, which is called The Worst of the Best. Um, and oh, it's yes. two, yeah, two guys, two brothers, and they, they talk about... The, the last two episodes, they've talked about the real thing and Angel Dust. And, and the premise of the show is they talk about albums um, that are particularly... Um, um, sacred to them, but and w- what they do is they pick the worst song of the album dis- and discuss why it's the worst song. And by worst, they, they, you know, they, they make it clear that they don't mean that the song is bad. You know, the song could be, you know, it's just not their favourite on the album. Uh, and I won't spoil it for you and, and tell you which songs they picked, but it, it, it's, it's mm-hmm. a good listen. There's two episodes. Get out there and listen to it. That's the worst of the best podcast but it did make me think and they, they've kind of forced me into after i spoke with them picking and uh i picked surprise you're dead as the the my least favorite song from the real thing which was a a surprise really? choice i think but yeah 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 i, I just think it, I, yeah it's just not i don't know yeah uh i couldn't I and then for, for angel dust I, I couldn't do it i literally could not pick a song that I dislike on there, or, or the one that uh, I listen to the least, because Angel Dust, every track to me is is just perfection. So I couldn't do it. For well, without um, giving away what their choices were, they had some rules about picking a worst, and it's not allowed to be an instrumental or a cover. Oh, I did. Uh, I didn't get that. I did listen to your podcast, guys. I did honestly. Yeah. So <laughs> if I had to pick a worst for Angel Dust, I would probably say Midnight Cowboy. But, you know, I don't. Li- I don't listen to a yeah, podcast. No, I, I really. It's I didn't f- listen to part two actually. I listen to part one. It's I, a, I, I don't listen to any podcasts. You know, a fucking idiot. Two idiots just fucking <laughs> ranting on for three hours Who about wants fucking to to shit. That? Yeah, fuck that, man. <laughs> Wankers. <laughs> um, oh, I've got Bone to pick with you as well. So I'll listen back to the last episode and you included the part where I fell off my fucking chair. <laughs> you, you actually <laughs> yeah, put that in there, twice. but not just once. You put it twice. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It wasn't good. It was, it, at listening back, it did actually make me giggle, but it uh, made my wife piss herself laughing, to be honest with you. Um, but it hurt when it happened. I, I, so, often, yeah. um, I often, when I edit these episodes, I either sit, I do it during my commute uh, to work, or I'll do it at the pub. And at whatever point I was, wherever I was when I uh, got to that bit, I exhaled heavily out of my nose on that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's going to be none of that yeah. today because my throne of yeah, toilet throne. roll is very secure. <laughs> I'm not falling off this bad boy. Um, yeah, so I've, I've, is there any more housekeeping other than talking about our trip to uh, America? Yes. Uh, oh, there last is. episode, I described the episode of, as being a compendium, and I said I couldn't think of the right word for it. And because it sounded really contrived, I thought it was more of an accompaniment or a study aid. I felt like study aid felt like the better word. Cliff's Notes. What? Cliff's Notes. That's what they call it in America, isn't it? Where they get those little books that that basically... Oh, the uh, Cliff's Notes. Cliff's Notes. 
So, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I thought that cliff right? notes. Not cliff notes. Cliff, I, I don't know. They're not cliffs. I, I, thought, I, I just assumed cliff, bro. A, could be. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I meant uh, it to be a, stu- a study aid, you know. The, the, yeah, we all anyway, know. Whatever. We all know what you meant. No one, I don't, no one cared but me. Um, okay. I referred to Tape Bleed, and I talked about the Led Zeppelin song, Whole Lot of Love. Um, the yep. more common so term is actually, it's more commonly, no, I just I just looked into it because it just, I wasn't completely confident with what I said, and it's actually called Print Through. Oh. So when the when the sound sort of bleeds through, it's actually known as print through, um, okay. and that moment with Robert Plant, it's never been answered as to exactly what occurred on that Led Zeppelin recording, but it's understood to be from a different take, and that different take printed through, and then okay. when they did the overdubs, they couldn't get rid of it nor disguise it, so they just decided to sort of feature it and add a bit of reverb or delay on it just to kind of make it more of an effect and it worked in their favor and people still talk about it today as a cool thing and we also during the uh i think it was a review or somewhere we said the word hesha and or someone said it in an email i think and we said oh, hesha okay. and neither of us remembered or uh, ever had ever heard that word before uh hesha is a diehard enthusiast of heavy metal music oh wow didn't, Incidentally, didn't there's a movie term for that. Yeah, there's a there's a movie called Hesher, and I think it looked like um James Franco, but it may not be. I didn't dive that deep. But there's a movie called Hesher. It looked like it was around 2012 or something. Wow. And oh oh, one more. We got a comment on our Facebook. Uh, it was on the podcast croissant Facebook page when we posted the Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny episode. I feel like we got a comment immediately after posting it, and I can't find the person who did that one, but we do have one here from Adam Marshall. And he said, the spoken word part is from this, and it's the Disneyland chilling, thrilling sounds of the haunted house. And um, I, I recall someone making a post to our page, and I don't know if that's been deleted or if it was linked to another post. So I apologize to the person who got in there earlier. But uh, thank you, Adam Marshall, for sharing that. And I'll share a little splice of the bit that I was talking about uh, at the start of Anarchy Up Your Anus uh, from Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny. This is the audiobook that you can hear under the song. Cool. You are a bold and courageous person, afraid of nothing. High on a hilltop near your home, there stands a dilapidated old mansion. Some say the place is haunted, but you don't believe in such myths. One dark and stormy night, a light appears in the topmost window in the tower of the old house. You decide to investigate, and you never return. That's 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 my housekeeping. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to talk bungle? Well, yeah. Let's talk. Oh wow. So where do we start? I mean, so for those who don't know, me and Mike both travelled to the United States in February to see Mr. Bungle. Mike was Thank there much God longer than me. Time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Mike went to more gigs than me. I just went to the one. Um, so maybe maybe you should start with your uh, your trip diary. 
from uh, the uh, LA gigs? Uh, I was due to fly into LA on February 5. My first ticket that I had purchased with my girlfriend was for the second night of February the 6th. But uh, good friend Jerry, shout out to Jerry, uh, advertised on Facebook that she had a ticket to the first night and I put my hand up for it and said, I'll come along to that, please. Um, So I got to see them for the first show and that was with horror and oh, uh, horror and Hyrax supporting. Okay. Um, so I, with no barely any sleep at all on the plane, basically just got in, jumped in the shower, and then just came straight down and got to meet up with some of the other guys. Scotty, uh, shout out to Scotty, shout out to Doug, uh, uh. Australians who had also flown into the US. Um, and well, could I just say that Scott, the Scott you met. Is Scotty from Faith No More followers? He's one oh, of yes. the team yep. um, on the website I work with, and yeah, I've I've been online friends with Scotty for like ten years now, and I got to meet him on this trip, which was absolutely amazing. Um, we're we, I, I, we're like brothers, you know. So to actually physically meet up with the dude and it be such a fucking great meet up and get on like house on fire, everything was great. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, and it turned out that when I landed, you had sort of linked us up over a, a small group of Aussies in, you know, in a. Oh, that wasn't me. The, that that was Scotty that did that. I just oh, pretended to be in. Australian. You sent me an invite. I think oh, it did was I? whatever oh, right, it was. Okay. Yeah, uh, and turned out that Scotty was staying in the same uh, apartments suite in um, LA, so that made it really easy to meet up. And anyway. This could go on a really long time if I don't move it along, but I was very excited and very underslept and got in there and drank a lot and high racks were just crazy awesome, just straight up thrash metal. Uh, but horror, um, I'm so glad because I, I just wasn't fussed on any of these supports prior to going, but horror, mm. honestly, one of the coolest things I've ever seen live. Like, I really hope they come to Australia when we're allowed to start seeing bands again. They're, well, they um, spotted Faith No More, didn't they, at, at, at one point? Yeah, you had mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, God, they were cool, man. They put on the coolest show, and they weird outfits to start with and just really intense. And the cool. uh, it was really cool of Mr. Bungle to actually give both bands, like, all the lights and all the sound system. It wasn't, you know, how you go and see bands and they're not as loud and they're not as impressive because the the main band mm-hmm. has to stand out more. The um, the subwoofer that was running through horror was just full on. Like you could feel the bass hitting you. It was just intense. It was so cool. Yeah, just one of the most awesome, impressive things I'd seen. So that happened. People were already moshing Circle Pit, going crazy. People were really excited for Bungle. Um, I won't talk about the Bungle show yet because I think we can sort of start talking about that as we get to the night that you were at. Um, yep. But then Bungle came out, super intense, super exciting. Um, circle pits, crazy excited audience. Um, awesome night. Uh, really tired. Drank a lot. <laughs> so that was fun. Um, did it all again the next night. Um, the supports were good fun. Neil Hamburger and uh, Neil Hamburger and Cattle Decapitation. Cattle Decapitation <laughs> were just this brutal metal. Um, but again, I, jeez, I just, I just got, I just got carried away on the excitement and the drinks, and 
I had a really fun time for cattle decapitation as well, and then I loved Mr. Bungle, and then I felt like shit the next day on the third day, and I was going to try and get a ticket because I thought, fuck it, I'm here, I may as well go, and Melvins and Cunts were going to be supporting. And I was so rotten and hungover and felt so terribly lousy, and I thought, I'm still seeing them, you know, at least one more time in San Francisco. I'm just going to lay low tonight. And I was with my friend Casey. Shout out, Casey, uh, in L.A., and we went to a venue for a drink right down the side of the uh, the La Fonda at about 8.30 at night. And doors were at 8 and the first band starts at 9. And we went down, we, we got dropped off by an Uber as we went down the side. And I looked over at the side of the venue and I swear all the band was standing outside. But like cool. there was more than just the band. And I said to my friend Casey, I'm like, fuck, I think I have to go back and see if... I can wave someone down or try and say hello to someone. He's like, oh, that's cool. We can go over. Um, he's American. He has an American accent, but I'm not going to try and do it. And um, he said, we can, we can go. And I said, oh, and I just, I freaked out. I freaked out. I just, I, I wussed out and didn't go over there. And then that's the night that Eric Andre introduced Bungle. And I'm just convinced that, that one of those people was Eric Andre standing outside chatting with the band. And I just, Probably. I, I just feel... Oh, you know, that, that palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, and you're supposed to, you know, this is your one shot. I I didn't lose myself. Mm. I didn't go for it. Fool. Yeah. Crazy. I'm, Crazy I'm fool. Really disappointing. Anyway, See, I can do an American accent. <laughs> um, yeah, but moving along then, it was the following night that we, it was the 8th, the 8th in San Francisco. Yep. Got my house yeah. on a plane the next day. With my girlfriend, shot up to San Francisco, and then we got to. Was it? Was it the next day? Uh, we met in the. We went. We met in the afternoon, didn't we? On the eighth. Yeah. So we flew in. Yeah. And, yeah we we flew in early, and yeah, we met that afternoon. Yeah. 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 Well, it was. Uh, to, uh, the the trip for me was uh, pretty disastrous from beginning to end. Um, our little boy fell ill on the morning we were due to set off. Um, Luckily, it wasn't anything serious, and my parents stepped in to look after him. So we we could fly, but it was still, you know, we were pretty worried about leaving him. Uh, And then on the flight over, uh, I came down with tonsillitis. I got the chills and the the, the fever, and pretty much as we landed, when we landed in, oh, so when we landed in San Francisco, we had to wait for three hours to get through um oh, immigration yeah and i was like and he was just standing in this queue and i was like almost passing out anyway we, we managed to get through and we checked into the hotel and went straight to a doctor's and got some antibiotics um which cost a pretty penny and um, it cleared you for coronavirus right like because that was already oh yeah 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 definitely mate yeah actually I, you never did um anyway <laughs> I, I t- the, the worst thing about being in san francisco and having tonsillitis so, you know, my throat was, was swelled up and I, and I just could, had no appetite. It was all those crab restaurants on Fisherman's Wharf. They just looked fucking amazing and I couldn't eat anything. So I think one day I'm going to go back just, just to just experience the uh, restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, so the first day we got there, um, I'd just like to do a big shout out to Jared, Jared Blum who's part of Bill Gould's um, Talking Book Project, which we'll come to later on the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he 
drove he, what a legend he drove around in his car picked me and my wife up and and took us round san francisco to see all the tourist stuff like mrs doubtfire's house um and some really cool faith no more related spots um yeah he, he basically took his day off and and you know drove us around chauffeured us around all day so massive shout out to jared thanks for that um and i got to see some really cool places like coast recorders where faith no more recorded angel dust it's now a homeless shelter but it was cool to stand outside it um yeah uh so and i went to uh, amoeba records um in uh, uh is it upper hate or or something along those lines went oh, there hate, um hate ashbury area yeah yeah that area yeah, yeah yeah and um then the next day we went and saw um so basically talking book without bill because bill was in australia um so we saw jared dominic cramp um do a live set um at that like a was little, what you saw yeah it was like a tiny we little and, yeah 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 it was a tiny little um weird little place in the mission area and um, you were talking about jared and i just didn't realize who yeah. that was and the significance yeah of, and it, yeah, it was cool. a weird little gig and it, it proper stunk of weed and pancakes in there so we we, <laughs> we didn't stay that long unfortunately um but then yeah the next day was when we met up and obviously i just uh, mentioned scotty earlier got to meet scotty for the first time uh and me and you got to meet um and I t- yeah yeah uh, you were a lot taller than i expected oh really yeah, yeah. There's um, a nice, there's a nice yeah. little hug, two second yeah, video yeah. that we put on our. We couldn't do that Instagram. now. It'd just be like a a a, a, a well distanced nod now, or the the foot yeah. tap thing that they're telling people to do from one and a half meters oh, away. I don't know. <laughs> you do that, but yeah, you didn't disappoint me, mate. And you and um, my wife got absolutely smashed together. Oh um, yeah, I, uh, yeah. Uh, I I obviously couldn't join in because I was on antibiotics. Um. But yeah, it was cool. Yeah, we got to hang out for the day and go see Mr. Bungle. And I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna come to this show because I didn't have the ticket and I was still due to go to the last show. But yeah, but it took I, you like five minutes to decide to go. <laughs> but then I think just the 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 thrill of uh, finally meeting you and the excitement of um, yeah, just explaining how good the shows have been. I was like, I turned yeah. to my girlfriend yeah, was- and I just said, I have to go. And um, thanks to Nick. Shout out, Nick, for uh, having an- – he- Nick's another guy that I got to hang out with on the first night. He um, he uh, had a spare ticket to that show for someone who had pulled out. So I was able to um, snatch that up and attend that one as well. Yeah. Victims well, family. Well, I, I, re- I wrote a review on the show. Yep. And I'm not going to read the review. You can check it out. It's on faithonmorefollowers.com. Um, it's now fnmfollowers.com, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I will say that. Yeah, we've, I've upgraded the website, fnmfollowers.com, not faithonmorefollowers.com. Well, oh, faithonmorefollowers.com is still there if you want to check stuff out. But, yeah. And, look, for me, um, I had a great night. It was absolutely brilliant. Even though I was felt like shit all night, um, you know, I got to hang out with you and Scotty um i got to watch uh this incarnation of mr bungle but my the 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 kind of conclusion of my uh review is that this this it's you know it was worth the five thousand mile journey to go see um Patton, uh trace bruins and trevor dunn together again but i kind of missed danny heifetz and i missed 
Bear McKinnon. I miss the saxophones. I miss the keyboards. I miss the the. I missed old Mister Bungle, and I was warned. You know, um, Greg Workman warned me this wouldn't be what I was expecting. This wouldn't be the Bungle that I knew, and he was right. And there's a funny little phrase which they put on their poster that says, "All techies, codgers, millennials, and LGBTQs welcome to thrash." no Rambos. That that was actually on the poster. <laughs> and in my opinion, there was a lot of Rambos there. What, what does it mean yeah. by Rambo? Like, I just, I just assume they mean people, you know, you know, fucking knuckleheads. And I got knocked around a lot. Um, and I'm not just talking about on the, on the floor of the uh, gig. I'm talking about just walking around. A lot of people rushing around, knocking people around. Mm. Uh, a lot of people smoking weed. A lot of people. Yeah. I was stoned when I walked out of there. There was that much weed being smoked around me. Um, and I, I'm not. I'm not against drugs. I don't do it myself these days. But I'm not against it. But I just. It just felt like a, a, a an unfriendly atmosphere. Didn't feel. You know, a lot. I've been to a lot of gigs when everybody looks out for each other. Everybody's loves the music, loves the band, so they're all there. One. Mm. You know, united group of people. Didn't feel like that at Bungle. It felt a bit disjointed and a bit angry um but that's my own personal experience I loved being there but yeah there were there were I, I don't know whether it was just the fact that i was stuffed with illness um whether that's the way i felt that way but mm. yeah anyway mm. you see but, yeah the uh, the the La Fonda in um, I, I i didn't attend the new york shows and i so i can't speak for that venue but the La Fonda um, that hosts the LA shows, that venue seemed to just not act. Even, I mean, it was sold out. So even at capacity, it still felt like there was room and it felt, um, it felt, it actually felt friendlier. Whereas I know what you mean, the Warfield felt uh, very cramped. And once it filled up, you know, um, it didn't feel as safe. It felt harder to get. Certainly hard. Well, to get if in you and out remember, of. I went. I went for a piss. I was just, uh, desperate for a piss, so I ran up. Um, there was like a, a an, an, egg, an exit near us. Yeah, so I ran mm. up there. No, no problems. Got to the toilet. When I was coming back down to, to, to meet with you guys, people weren't letting me down. They were pushing me out of the way, as if, to, and then walking in front of me as if to say, "You're not getting past me." And mm. this wasn't people on the actual floor on the, in the mosh pit. This was people just in the aisle do you know what i mean uh, yeah. you know people are getting really angry that i was trying to get back t- to my friends and you know my wife uh you know i wasn't being rude or anything but and, and i have experienced that at other events but it seemed a lot more aggressive hmm. um but yeah yeah like i say maybe it was just me that i was a bit under the weather but yeah it was it was good yeah, yeah I, I tried to time it that when Bungle started that I wouldn't need to leave again, but then it got the I was the same, got the better of me, I needed to take a piss. So I, I ran up the side, not realising I wouldn't be able to come back down the side, and I ran ran up. Oh, yeah, yeah, I felt the and, same, yeah. And yeah, came yeah. back, and there was a, a female security guard there, and as I, as I went to just walk past, I went, hey, and she goes, no, 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 no you can't. And I went, oh, you're kidding, all my, friend, all my friends are standing right by the entrance there, and she went, I'll go on. I didn't see you, so thankfully she let me back down, so I didn't experience any of what you did. But um, uh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Right. But the the venue itself, I um, I, I preferred the L.A. 
LA gigs. The venue was, to, look, was fantastic. It reminded me of of um, of Brixton Academy. Very similar to Brixton Academy. You can hmm. totally see why Faith No More feel at home at Brixton Academy in London. Because the Warfield was v- just similar size, similar yeah, yeah. Uh, decor. You know, it, it felt very, very much like that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to slag off the people that were there. They were there to see one of my favourite bands of all time. But, yeah, I, I, there was a lot. I didn't see many Mr. I saw the, the odd Mr. Bungle shirt and the odd Faith No More shirt. But I didn't see many... You know, it, it seemed like there were a lot of metalheads there, a lot of thrasher there, probably just to see Scott Ian and uh, Dave Lombardo. You know, I think that was in the mix there as well. Yeah, I wondered that. Um, it was but I'm just a... I'm reference I'm just referencing my uh, review. So, like I say, you can go read my review. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. a bit of time's gone by, and you know, I was I was having the I was having the best time at these shows. Um, I was loving Bungle. I was loving the performances. I was loving um, the, the set list. I loved recognizing, you know, having gone through the demos and trying to find some things to listen out for, you know, um, the Anarchy Up Uranus chorus. And there were a few moments here and there, and especially like Do the Bungle Grind. There was certainly moments that it was just, and I remember the verse of Raping Your Mind as well. There, there were moments throughout the set that I'm like, good i recognize this one you know and um and especially uh trey's solos throughout the set and then they did there were two or three well they opened the show with the mr rogers theme yeah it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood a beautiful day for a neighbor would you be mine could you be mine it's a neighborly day in this beauty wood a neighborly day for a beauty would you be mine could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor. Australians, that's not really familiar to us, so it, I actually didn't know that at all. Um, no, I didn't either. No, I didn't. I didn't know it either. Um, so that sort of went over my head. I, I mean, I just figured, I, I, I gathered straight away that it was um, a soft song, and it sounded like a theme song, um, and it worked well, and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, a bit of time's gone by, and you know, we were going to try and do an episode where we would review the shows you know, a day or two later. Um, unfortunately, uh, you were really ill, and then when you were good to meet up, uh, we'd already skipped on and yep. weren't able to catch each other. So that didn't work out. So it's it's a bit of a bummer to be talking about it now, not sounding so enthused, because I was having an absolute blast. You know, I, I loved them. <laughs> the shows were incredible. But just like you, 
I think, um, and I said this to uh, a friend, a friend of our FNM friends group, um, Rod. Shout out to Rod. Uh, we we caught up, and I I had bought him a t shirt and a beanie from the shows and brought it back for him. And I was saying to him that um, I'm so grateful I got to go, and I really enjoyed it. And I don't want to play down that you know that that gratitude. Um, but what I can say is that I feel like when I see footage of Dead Cross, for example, I feel like I know what I can expect if I were to go and see them. Mm-hmm. And I imagine seeing Dead Cross, I would go, yeah, this is how I imagined it. And I can say for those who really you know, were enthused by the footage and thought the shows looked fantastic, they were, and I kind of feel like, we kind of got i feel like we kind of got almost exactly what we anticipated and the the footage really reflects what the shows looks like they were you know exceptionally well performed you know well played engaging um scott ian was so into it trace bruins's guitar work really impressed me um what i would say for trevor dunn is that he's not a metal or a thrash bassist and he almost has like more of a swagger to his playing like mm-hmm. it's a fast groove rather than he's not he's not so punk thrash that he's almost racing ahead of it or he's a bit loose isn't the right word because he's got that looseness in the sort of you know i'm saying swagger in his playing um which i would liken to someone like lemmy from motorhead right. just in the way he's delivering you know, his bass parts. Did, I mean, Dave Lombardo's did, did you, on. Did you mm. feel that the, the it seemed to be like the Dave and um, Ian, sorry, Dave, the Dave and Scott show? It seemed to be more, I don't know, it just seemed to be more centred around them. And even the band was stepping back and basically letting Ian take front, uh, Scott Ian take front stage. As, I, I don't know whether that, you know, I don't, it just seemed to be something that I, I felt on the night. Yeah, I mean, um, band wise, because yeah. I was, I was, I was uh, mesmerized, and my, my my vision was, my line of sight was 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 pretty much glued to Trey most of the night, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. just watching him, because um, it's not often you see gets Trey to see, to see Trey rock out so much. Yeah, sure. Um, but I kind of felt like Trey was like the second guitarist. That's the way it felt. Do you know what I mean? He was the he was the the backing guitarist, not the not the lead guitarist. That's the way it felt. Yeah, oh, he, he he kept yeah. ripping into these awesome solos, but um, you know Scott Ian was far more engaged right up the front, for sure. I, t- I totally know what you mean. I mean, it was still the Mike Patton show. Any any Mike Patton show is the Mike Patton show. Um, but I know I totally know what you mean because Trevor Dunn was really tucked tucked out of the way. You know. Yeah, he wasn't. He he didn't seem that engaged. Yeah, yeah, at he all. was. He was. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, mm. but you're right. It wasn't. It wasn't. A, I guess to say a true bungle show. But I mean, it was just as much a phantomous show with special guests. You know, Lombardo, Dunn, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Patton. Um, no. Anyway, how many people can say that they shit the pants um, at Alcatraz? I can. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> what really? Yeah, good job. I took a pair of spare pair of underwear with me in my in my rucksack. Were you yep. just really? You, oh, good. You were so sick with tonsillitis, you got the runs or something. You, yeah, basically, I couldn't get to the toilet in time, so I shit myself. Fuck. Yep. So everybody knows that now. And you, it's out there. It, you're admitting it. Over, God, yeah. I've got something well, embarrassing not? to admit. And why not? You've just topped that. Oh. 
<laughs> All right, what, 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 what were you going to admit? Uh, um, well, so uh, my girlfriend and I skipped town for a couple of days. We went out to Yosemite. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got so used you to stalked, calling stalked, it. stalked, stalked um, Trevor Dunn's family, didn't you? Oh, no, that's, that comes later. But um, Oh, okay. Sorry, go on. I, I called it Yosemite so many times that I started to second guess what it's actually called. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we went out to Yosemite and just stayed a couple of nights, got out of town. That was actually really nice. The drive, the, the nature is beautiful out there. Uh, and then came back into San Francisco to stay at the Warfield Hotel, which was an experience, and I actually really loved it. Um, okay. Bought ourselves. Oh, we had before leaving town. We had bought. We'd gone out to Haight Ashbury and uh, visited a, a cannabis store and bought ourselves some pre-made. The probably the most expensive way to buy weed, but I just couldn't be asked. You know, buying papers and rolling my own and you know whatever i just bought the pre-made marley brand um three joints um and this particular one was really high in cbd okay like twice as much cbd to thc so we just thought it'd be a really nice mellow thing to smoke i think we first tried a little bit of it when we were in yosemite and that was just really nice um but when we got back into um san francisco on i'm eating a biscuit okay um, when we got <laughs> when we got back into San Francisco, we went back out to Haight Ashbury because oh god, I got this fuck. I'm, I really try to keep things succinct and not waffle on, but I'm waffling. You are waffling. Yeah, I am a little bit. So we went out to Haight Ashbury because at Amoeba Records on the night of the last gig, which I recall recall being the 13th of February, um, Scott Am was doing a bit with Brian Posan, um, and Brian Posan's like a comedian uh, uh, slash voice actor i think um i don't know a whole lot about him um but oh god he, they've done an album together it's called grandpa metal or something so they were there to talk about the recording of and how it came to be um i think a lot of people went along expecting to see an in-store performance but there was just the two of them sitting there and talking about it um they did a q and a after it and this was only a couple of hours before bungle were playing and I was just, you know, usual awkward self and didn't want to put my hand up straight away and also didn't want to put up my hand and talk, ask Scott Ian about Bungle because I thought, that's a bit of a faux pas. They're here to promote something else. But then the first thing that happened was they said, any questions? And this guy puts up his hand and says, something, something, Scott Ian, anthrax, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, right, okay. Um, and so then they had a few people ask some questions and they go, okay, and last question over here. I was like, fuck, I missed out. And then the guy asked a really quick question. She goes, oh, that was quick. One more. And I threw my hand up. And then I ran to the microphone and I said, hey, Scott, what's it like being playing? What's it been like playing with Mr. Bungle? Um, and he answered my question. What did he say? <laughs> he said it's been a blast. He said it was awesome. He explained how it came about, how Patton called him and said, do you want to join us on the shows? Um, Brian then sort of stopped and, you know, stopped him and just asked the audience, have you guys heard Mr. Bungle? Have you heard of Mr. Bungle? Have any of you been to the shows? They've been fucking incredible. And then um, Scott said this this demo, Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny, he said something along the lines of, um, it's the best thrash metal album you've never heard. And, um, <laughs> you know, spoke a lot of praise, said how great the shows have been. Brian said... I think something along the lines, if you can get there tonight, try to do so, but I think it's sold out. I, I can't remember. It was a bit of a bit of a blur for me because I was um, freaking out. Stoned. 
No, not at this point. And, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but that was that was really cool. I answered my question. I wanted to try and do a meet and greet thing, but we had to get get a move on to get back to um, back to the war field and um, met up with a friend. He came to our room and then we went downstairs and I thought, I ha- if I'm going to see Mr. Bungle, I've never done this. I have to get a little bit high before a Mr. Bungle show. Surely that's surely that's a good. So on my last night when I'm seated, I've, I'm, I've got seats for the last show, and I thought that's that's a good idea. That you know, I wanted to be sober for at least one of them, but then I thought it was a good idea to smoke some weed, and so I got a little bit higher before the bungle show, and then I got carried away on the beers again. But Neil Hamburger was actually very funny after smoking a bit of weed. I got to say. Um, and then Possessed <laughs> performed, and Possessed are the old school rockers from years back, like proper um, death metal. Yeah. And they were fucking sick. The singer's in a wheelchair. Um, and so he's oh, rolling okay. around on stage just rocking out, and it actually it just looks it's, – it's a different experience being in seats watching down on the stage rather than being on the floor. So it was it – was, it looked intense from the seats, but it must have been – absolutely sick because he was really engaged he'd roll around and he'd sort of engage with the people at the front of the audience and stuff it was that was that was sick and then um i don't remember a lot of that bungle performance to be honest with you because just that mix of um the beers and the the beers and the do you, do you remember when the pink elephants oh, that was came my, flying in from the side and, and then everybody's faces started turning into onions um and the, then the carpet started to move do you, do you remember all Barely. those bits <laughs> They happened though, right? There was um, there was someone sitting a couple of seats across, yeah, smoking mate. a joint yeah. inside, and then people started telling them off. It's like it's it's crazy. It's just a different world being in California. Just it's legal. Oh yeah, so, I mean, everywhere. like in the UK, it, yeah, yeah, in the UK, if you if you spark up just a normal cigarette, you clamp down on an out, thrown out yep. there within thirty seconds. But there, there was like fucking oh, every other person a had a joint there, though. If you insane. let off a cigarette there, you'd get kicked out, but they just let um, it go with the with the joins. <laughs> so anyway, the um look the, yeah. the that show was good. I personally feel like probably the best show that I got to see was the first, more from the thrill and the excitement of it just being their first show back. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't think it was the best they played necessarily. It was just the audience and the intensity of it was the best. The show I saw with you, which was their first San Francisco show, felt like the best band's performance. It was their first night in San Francisco, um, and it just felt like they'd you know, ironed out a few things. They'd already had the three shows in LA, and they were really on. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I can't speak for the New York shows. And then the last show, Patton actually started to sound a bit scratchy. His voice seemed a little bit worn out, just, from, just okay. from what I could hear. I felt like I saw... Um, my girlfriend had to remind me that I said this, but as they finished and walked off um, the last show, Trey seemed a bit pissed off. And I said, oh, he looked pissed off. Like they said, good night. Thank you. And he just like turned and stormed off. And I don't know if anyone wants, if anyone saw it or if there's footage of it. I don't, and it could have been anything. It could have been his gear was fucking up or he, you know, just something annoyed him. But doesn't mean anything but i yeah it was just something that i noticed i think i, need, I know I the story behind this i think i know the story behind this um two days before he'd um gone for a visit to alcatraz 
and stepped stepped in somebody's underpants full of shit. <laughs> he was just he was just still yeah. carrying that with him for a couple still, of days. Yeah, still carried that that <laughs> that memory with him. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that, that would have been it. No, I've, I've been meaning to try and hunt down some footage of that last moment as they walked off. Um, so if anyone happened to see that, I'm just curious if there was some indicator. But who knows? Like I said, it could have been gear. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not speculating that it was anything to do with the band it was just trey just looked over it or fed up or something um yeah and then i stood outside being a complete dork uh hoping to meet the band for the last night because i was drunk at this point and just went oh it's the last night i'll stick around and see what happens and um brian posan came out and i recognized him from the meet and greet so i called out to him and i said hey brian can I have a photo with you? So I got to have a Brian, a, a Brian photo, mm-hmm. um, a photo with Brian. Um, Mike Crane walked past. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, um, from Dead Cross. He um, yeah. it was Jerry, uh, who I said got me the tickets the first night. She was, I was with her, and she said, "Is that Mike Crane?" And I went, "Nah, nah, that's not him." And he gets closer. <laughs> he gets closer. and went, "Hey, Mike!" And he looks at me. And I go. Hey man, can I get a photo? And then she's like, "Fuck you, dude." <laughs> um, I, I don't know if she did or not, but then um, yeah, I had a brief chat with him, and I was just out of it, man. I actually posted that photo and um, complimented him for being so um, kind and patient because I just I I feel like I would have just been a bumbling mess by this point. But he was he was really cool, really lovely, and he looked really well. So um, that was nice. Yeah, good, good. good. Um, then my embarrassing moment. This is not maybe as bad as shitting your pants, but um, we're waiting around to see the band come out and Scott Ann comes out the side doors. So he's walking out and um, people start yelling out. Actually, I don't know that that many people were yelling out. I think there was just a bit of a, hey, hey, and he just kept walking and didn't look and crossed the road to a car. And I just started walking sort of toward it, but wasn't going to run for him or anything. And I just started going, Ann! Anne! Anne! Just as he's getting there, I'm like, Anne! And then remember, and, um, he's called Scott. And I um, <laughs> gets in the car and the door closes. And I turn back to another friend, Paul. Shout out, Paul. Oh, I'm just going to do a shout out tonight. Um, Paul, who was the nice person who kept taking photos on my behalf um, for the evening. Um, I turned around to Paul and went, oh, fuck. I knew something wasn't right. I go, I'm just going to pretend that I didn't realize he's, or, you know, that I still know that his name's Scott. Um, <laughs> but I'm just yelling out Ian. And I was like, fucking hell, what a knob. Uh, well, I, like I've done that twice dick. earlier in this episode, called him Ian instead of Scott. So, oh, have you? Yeah, yeah. I didn't even notice. So, yeah. There you go. See, I'm still. <laughs> um, mm. And then the rest of the band all came out individually. Um, and then um, Jeff from Possessed came out. And um, hung out for a bit. And um, he was fucking lovely, man. He was so cool. And I felt really bad because we had a cigarette together and he's talking to me about his music. And he was saying how stoked he was to be playing with Mr. Bungle. He was telling me how Larry Leyland from um, Primus was like in the initial incarnation of um, of Possessed. Like Larry Leyland briefly played right, yeah, 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 Possessed. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, and he was also talking about how stoked he is on the new album, and I admitted I hadn't heard it. He said, oh, dude, check it out. I'm so happy with it. I wrote all the music. It's fantastic. And he was just fucking lovely. We talked for ages. I met his dad. His dad was there. Um, and then everyone, I think Paul gave me an argument because Patton's coming out, and everyone's yelling for Patton. 
And I said, can you excuse me, man? I really, I just really want to just try and catch Patton. He's like, yeah, of course. And I turn around. Patton just jumped in a car and took off straight away. And right. I turn around and um, Jeff's getting into a car himself. And I went to say goodbye to him and a security guard told me to fuck off. And I said, I just want to say goodbye. And he's like, too bad, man. And I tried to get on the security guard. It was basically like, dude, get out of here. And then um, so I felt I felt really bad because I cut the conversation short with Jeff um, and he was really lovely. So, yeah. Um, oh, that sounds awesome, mate. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm glad you had yeah, a, yeah. a great time. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, think, I don't know how I could have kept all that more succinct, but it was it was a fucking blast. Lots of funny stories. I think we did yeah, well to keep wild. that in under an hour, that, um, catching up on Bungle. Yeah. 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 Well, I wanted it to be its own complete episode while we were together but that didn't work out no no never mind eh? well mm. um yeah so that's that um email is this where we do emails yeah yeah let's get on with some emails yeah um right okay oh, for f- crying out loud right so you've elected me to read the first email from brazil <laughs> and it's oh, well, that's not. That's and he's an even he's even put in his title. Broken English is required to understand me. Lol. So this is from Leandro Louis. Now I'm pretty sure I said that correctly. So we've started off on a good footing. Okay. Hey guys, how have you been? Oh, for crying out! This is Alika Hyman, aka something can't read it. Yeah, from on oh, on Instagram. It's a different name to the from. Okay. Yeah. Alika El- Hyman. On? Yeah, uh, that's what uh, I said. Uh, Elika Hyman. Huh? Oh, f- f- crying out loud, oh, man. Fuck. Did I, what is wrong with people? <laughs> this is hard enough as it is without <laughs> making fools of us. Right, I'm from Brazil. And just like you two, I'm a huge Faith No More addicted and love your podcast. I'm going to read it as he's written it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes me... F- feel at home it makes me feel at home (laughs) listening to the biggest subject i love to speak and listen about the fat bastards i've listened to uh the download episode it was great that concert is so perfect um (laughs) to have a comeback oh perfect perfect way to have a comeback even with some little mistakes they did on stage but when it's about faith no more mistakes only makes the concerts unique not only for the set list and Patton's acts. They are back to some concerts in Europe only for now. Oh, this is obviously a, a quite an old email then. Um, but we are really excited about a possible South America tour. I've been to three Faith No More concerts here in my city, and as usual, they were amazing. Um, and Le- Leandro has got some questions for us. Number one, which is the Faith No More song you both hate? I mean the one you can't stand to listen to. Not the one that you don't like that much, um, but a song that you really hate and you would come back in time, you'll prevent them from recording it. Huh. Huh. Interesting. Well, for me, I've already spoke about it. It's um, She Loves Me Not. Oh, that's right. Or, no, Homesick mm. Home. Sorry, Homesick Home. I, I, I equally dislike both of them, but Homesick Home is the worst Faith No More song ever recorded, in my no, opinion. It. No, it's good times. Right, um, go on, your turn. My quick answer would be... Actually, my less than quick answer is it's so funny to ask this because, you know, when you're only given so much music from a band and then they've got a bunch of hidden stuff, you just beg for more. And then they finally release stuff and then you hear stuff and you're like, yeah, you didn't need to share that. So for me, it's instrumental <laughs> from the 95 oh, really? session. Yeah, that instrumental yeah. thing's just 
Okay. But I, the thing is, I hate it the most, but... I think that's Bill on guitar. But I don't need to necessarily prevent them from recording, and I just don't listen to it. Yeah, yeah fair that's enough. definitely at least... Number two. Mm-hmm. Name a Faith No More B-side you think should have been released on an album, on which album? Um... Um, what song would you take off the album to replace it? Uh, well, I would have um, Absolute Zero on King for a Day, definitely. It's one of my favourite songs by Faith No More. Oh, but then again, I do absolutely... I mean, it was number number two in my in my all-time favourite list is um, Perfect Crime. However, I'm not oh, yeah. sure that would fit... had fitted on the real thing. I, don't, I think it's a different vibe. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'll stick with Absolute Zero. Go on. Oh yeah, I, absolute zero was my first thought, and but you have to something you'd remove. See, the, my least favorite on. Oh, we'll get to it when we talk. Yeah, about we'll it. get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll yeah, doing um, uh, yeah. If you guys didn't know, we are going to eventually in this episode get talking about King for a day. Eventually, um, one day. Yeah, eventually. Well, but the first a, four songs. Yeah, ab- absolute zero would probably be a pick, but again, it's um probably the best fitting like songs that were B sides yeah, that yeah, could have yeah, fit. Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't say probably, it's the best B side, but it's mm, the best fitting. Yeah, definitely. But probably yeah. the um album of the year era, the Big Kahuna and Light Up and oh, Let yeah, Go, never, they sort of thought, actually yeah. fit. Yeah, you know, like they they'd fit better than you could pull out. She loves me not and stick one of those in there. I think my cat's just killed itself. Oh, rather than Did you hear you, that? Um, Did you hear that? F- I heard the, the noise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what oh. my cat is doing. It's in the other room. Weird little shit. Uh, anyway, next question number three. Name the other band's artist that you would think uh, it would fit well, so Faith No More, uh, with Faith No More, if they could record, or at least, sorry, this uh, this this guy's, you know, he's doing his best to, to uh, translate <laughs> his own language into English. Um uh, right, so basically, <laughs> name which, another which, band which song? artist song you think would fit so well with Faith No More if they okay, I, I know what you're saying now. If yeah, they yeah, record yeah. it or at least yeah. Play so it basically, live. basically, what what song cover? by another artist should Faith No More record? Yep. Um, uh, I have thought about this in the past. Um, I kind of like Li- Liadro's suggestion of Charles and Eddie would I lie to you. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, because it's a cool... I've always liked that song. And, if you didn't know, um, one of the members of Charles and Eddie, I think it's Charles, might be Eddie. Well, well, either one of them played in Mike Bording's first band. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fact. Effigan fact! Yeah, Does um, that, that's, that is mentioned in the book. Yes, it is, yeah. yeah, yeah. Small victories. Um, yeah. It's called Fry oh, By Night, they were ninja. called. And it's, uh, I can't remember whether it's offhand, I can't remember it's Charles already, but one of them was in Mike Bording's first band. So there you go. Nice little factoid for you there. Um, Wild. But yeah, I I was thinking about this and I do, I always loved um, Glory Box, the version that Faith No More did. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. uh, So I would, I would love to hear a a recorded version of that, but on the same kind of, um, uh, um, in the same kind of band, I would always thought Faith No More would do a really good job of protection by um, uh, so, you know it's the same time a trip hop feel by uh, Massive Attack Massive protection. Attack yeah. yeah I always thought mm-hmm. they'd do a good version of that yeah I like those questions go mm. on Yogo last question number three what would you, would you say I <clears throat> oh let me guess I know it I know it before you say it I know it yeah ready 
Land Down Under by um, Men at Work. <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? Come on. Lion sleeps tonight. Lion sleeps no. tonight. Oh, no. man. No. Woo! They've already done that, though. They've already done that. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, I actually I had an idea for a song that I was thinking about covering recently. And I actually then realised that I would be doing a version that would just be an attempt to sound like If Faith No More were doing it. Oh, okay. Oh, who did it? Uh, En Vogue from, like, 90s. Yeah, 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 I remember. You know that song? What's it gonna be? Cause I can't I can just imagine Patton belting that chorus and then the the verses being really chill and there's all that wag and wow wow like John yeah, Hudson great song, nailed that and there's piano all the way through it and yeah I reckon they could do a really good I, I don't think I need to hear them record it for an album or anything but a live performance of Faith No More doing En Vogue's um, What's It Gonna Be that's um that's my pick. Oh don't is it called Don't Let Go? Yeah, don't let go. Don't let go. Yeah. Right. That's my yeah, pick. Cool. Yeah, I think um it's worth mentioning he had also said he agreed with instrumental and he he suggested um as in uh Alika Hyman had said uh hates the song instrumental and would also pick the cowboy song and would take off underwater love. I'm just adding that he, he gave answers. <laughs> Hang on a sec. I'm pretty sure Faith No More covered an En Vogue song at one point. I'm just trying to find the title of the song. Um, yeah, Free Your Mind. Was that En Vogue? Free Your Mind, that's it. Yeah, at the end of the Epic. Of Free Your Mind and the rest will follow. Was that En Vogue? Yeah. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right, Thank okay. You. Next email, you. your turn. A liquor Hyman. Yep. For that? Yep, enjoyed that. Oh, dude, yeah, I'm just looking yeah. now. Your next email is really long. I'm just going to go f- for a shit while you while you read it. Okay. Don't want to mean many toilet rolls. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. I'll be back in 20 minutes. All right. Uh, this one's from Aubrey Verrett, or Verre. Um, let's say Aubrey uh, Verrett. Greetings from California. Thank you so much for the hard work you've put into making such an informative and enjoyable podcast. In fact, I've enjoyed it so much that I felt compelled to write in. I never write into anything, so that's high praise from me. Lovely. I was excited to discover Podcast Chris on a few months back and have been listening through the episode slowly ever since. I have never done such a deep dive into a band before and it's been a lot of fun. The episodes are quite long, but they are always engaging, and I've been really enjoying the topics you've chosen to discuss. I particularly enjoyed the episodes on Album of the Year recently. Despite all of the criticism for the album, I ended up liking it even more. I even don't mind the whistling and Helpless. 
I eagerly await more episodes on songs from Angel Dust and hopefully episodes on Sol Invictus, a truly fantastic album from start to finish. Um, there. Sorry, that, I, don't worry, that's is that it. Is that from that's the it. toilet or is that... That's it. That's yeah. it. That's all I'm going to do. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, I thought no, I would share that, my... that, that wasn't from the toilet, it was from my asshole! <laughs> Carry on. I thought I would share my experience getting to know FNM as it seems so different from all of the other stories I've heard on the show so far. I discovered the band late, really late, but that's not surprising in the context of my musical journey. From my earliest memories, I've always been drawn to heavier music. Unfortunately, my interest was discouraged growing up. The only knowledge I had of most rock music as a kid was whatever I could sneak from the local radio stations through the clock radio in my bedroom. I also heard some pop tunes at friends' houses or at school, but I was always seeking something more intense. Bands like Alice in Chains, my lifelong favourite, Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, etc., uh, made a big impression on me in those early years. Somehow, though, I never encountered FNM. With only my clandestine radio sessions to guide me and no friends interested in the same music, I eventually gave up on it until I left home for college. In the meantime, I learned to play the piano and became focused on classical music almost exclusively. Once I moved away from home, though, I found my old interest in rock music reawaken. I began the process of musical discovery and rediscovering in earnest, which has led me into ever-increasing variety of genres. I don't think this process will ever end for me and as I've always felt like I'm making up for lost time. This leads me to a couple of years ago when I was preparing to go on vacation. I was looking for new music to download for the flight as I often use air travel as a time to listen to new artists. I remember being aware of this band called Faith No More and had read something about this guy, Patton, being one of the greatest voices in rock. I thought it would be a good time to get more familiar with them. After some brief research, I chose a real thing as my entry point. I as my entry point, I'll never forget that first listen. I was perplexed. Patton's nasally vocals, vocals were so distracting that I'm not sure I paid much attention to the music behind them. How could this be the singer I had read so much praise for? Despite my initial reaction, I ended up listening to the album again. Then again, in fact, I didn't listen to anything else that entire week. After about the third listen, I was hooked and I was in love. I hadn't heard anything quite like it, and I could finally see the skill in Patton's voice. Somehow, it all just worked. I found myself looking for opportunities to put in my earbuds and listen to the album over and over. Um, I, I know this is a long email. I just actually really like the story of how this all comes together. Um, I was in for another surprise when I moved on to Angel Dust soon after. I was so wild, It was so wildly different in almost every way. I admit that I didn't love it at first. Dude, RV I've just got to make myself especially... a coffee and you, you're still only halfway through this fucking email. Well, yeah, but it's the journey of all the albums and I just... <laughs> I, I do like it because I, I feel like there's this rediscovery as I sort of read through it, you know, and it's someone who's genuinely appreciated. No, I'll just open it be over by the time I got back. Right, go on, carry I'm sorry, on. I'm, I'm doing my best. Um, I've already I read had, this email. <laughs> I admit that I didn't love it at first. RV was an especially challenging track for me, but it didn't take long before I started to get it, and it soon became a true favourite. I repeated this process with each album in chronological order. I often took a few months to get to know one before moving on. I had read enough at this point to know that I could expect each album to sound distinct. I wanted to give myself the opportunity to absorb the music in the same order in which it was created. I credit your podcast with getting me to go back and listen to the Chuck albums, I now know I was missing an important part of the FNM story and wish I had listened sooner. 
Now I am so familiar with the band's music that it feels like I've been a fan my whole life. They have earned the title of favourite right along with my beloved Alice in Chains. In fact, I was excited when I realised that the reason Mike Borden looked familiar to me was because I'd seen him drumming in a video for one of Jerry Cantrell's solo songs. My decision to give the real thing a listen ended up changing me and expanding my musical horizons in a way that was completely unexpected. I didn't just listen. I didn't just learn about F and M. I also began to explore the other projects associated with them: Tomahawk, Mr. Bungle, Phantomus, Dead Cross, etc. Other musicians associated with those projects, projects associated with those musicians, and so on. I am now listening to much more music I may not have come across without Faith No More. My only regret in discovering the great band is that I found it so late. Finding them post reunion and post Sol Invictus just seems like bad luck. As you can imagine, the recent announcement of <coughs> awkward the recent announcement of European tour dates has me extremely hopeful that I'll get a chance to see them live one day. Finally, my sister and I managed to score tickets and. The second upcoming San Francisco San Francisco Bungle show. Obviously, this email was sent about six weeks ago. I am extremely excited. We might end up buying tickets to the first San Francisco date as well as part the inflated prices. See you there. Thanks again for the great work. Cheers, Aubrey. So thanks, Aubrey. I um yeah we don't we don't get round to reading these emails until like ten years after we're. <laughs> They've been I, written. I read them the day before we have to record and compile them and send them to you. So, yeah, I have a little auto reply on. Um, but, yeah, and normally normally I condense the emails as we receive them, but I just really liked the, the journey of that one and the uh, the description of it all. So I just wanted to read the whole thing. But thank you, Aubrey. Oh, par- apparently she yeah. says I'm over the top. Yeah, there's a little PS there that I was going to skip, but, yes, she does say something about you should i read that little bit i've, I've read everything no else. don't read it don't read it <laughs> don't, in fact let's cut that entire one hour 20 minutes you've just taken to read aubrey's massive email out after a little slag off of me at the bottom uh, fucking well, hell it's, man it's, it's actually no, I'm only joking it's so humble joking. of me to let she said p.s mike you've done a great job selecting partners for each episode so i i select people <laughs> Apparently, oh, listen, Aubrey. Adrian, Adrian is this dude never selected me. It was it was a god appointed um, journey for me. Fucking hell, it's my calling in life. Sometimes he is a bit over the top. That's that's <laughs> Jim. Jim really livens things up and is a great counterpoint personality wise. Sometimes he is a bit over the top, but it's very entertaining. Right, I'm always you know eager. What? Uh, all right. Anyway, if you don't like it, don't fucking listen. <laughs> she says at the end. I'm only joking. Thanks for being out. I wonder if people actually take me seriously. Do you know what I mean? I wonder if people actually oh, take my so. my abuse seriously. Mm. Well, we haven't heard from David Boyle in a while, have we? So maybe, maybe, maybe they do. Oh yeah, we, you haven't read through all the emails yet. Actually, I don't know if oh, we've got a David Boyle one this time. Um, but it says at the very end, "Thanks for being our leprechauns." <laughs> oh. That's quite quite poignant to read that the day after um, seeing Patrick's Day. Oh, I read someone made a meme to do with something along the lines of, uh, you know, you're caught up in an endemic or a pandemic or whatever. Fuck. You know, you're caught up in some sort of catastrophe when uh, everyone's forgetting to get drunk for St. Patrick's Day. Well, that's okay, because I'm going to read the next email in an Irish accent. So I am. Hello, lads. I've listened. Oh, that's Scottish. Fucking hell, what's wrong with me? <laughs> right, hello, lads. Uh, no, sorry, this is from Paul Harms. Hello, lads. I- I'll read it in Yorkshire accent. Okay. I can do that. 
I've recently discovered your podcast, <laughs> and I've very much been enjoying it. It's been a joy to listen to dig down into FNM history with such enthusiasm, enthusiasm. and irreverence. Yep. I hope you continue for many a year to come, you bastards. I perhaps unusually discovered FNM via Mr. Bungle, who I have been a massive fan of since about 1996. <laughs> I was lucky enough to see them in London in the year 2000, and since then I still listen to them, and various other pattern projects regularly. Like you, I was very excited to see that Mr Bungle reunited for a handful of shows in the US, and bought myself tickets to see them in New York. I'm sure I heard you say you were going over to see them. Life has thrown down some pretty serious barriers that prevent me from flying to New York to see the band. So, oh God, I hope this isn't going to be like me me reading it like this. It's going to be like a really pulling on his heartstrings. Oh, he's asking us to buy him some baseball caps. All oh, right, sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll skip to the last chapter and I'll continue to read it in this rather amusing mm. voice. 20 years ago, <laughs> I was a proper long-haired metalhead with me standard issue pair of boots, band shirts and combat trousers. Now I'm a short-held golf-playing uh, osteopath. <laughs> osteopath. Yeah. <laughs> Though I currently wear a Led Zepp cap whilst on the course. It would be great to rock a bit of bungle out there. Regardless of your reply, I wish you very well. Warm regards, Paul. I'm sure that's how he talks. Uh, that is exactly how Paul talks. Mm. Well, thank you, Paul. It's really wonderful Thanks, to Paul. hear from you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's Florida man Ben Brown coming in with a... Oh, that's going to be my voice for this one. All right, the, uh, the, Australian, uh, the Australian rock jock coming back with some hard rocking cock blocking fucking rock. Uh, there's a Are you putting on a voice <clears throat> or, you, or not? Yeah, I got over it quickly. Um, Florida's wonderful music contributions. Hello, con- contribute. Yes, I thought I thought you were putting on a voice. No, I was. <laughs> that that just sounds like you. I can't do voice. Uh, hello, Mike and Jim, Florida man Ben Brown here. Thank you and Doug Esper for getting my questions answered. You were discussing death metal in Florida. Yes, Florida does have some responsibility for the scene. Death formed in my hometown, Orlando. Soon after, followed by obituary, morbid... Just read it normally, dude. Obituary, morbid angel... You're fucking it up, man. Just read it normally. And you don't... You didn't... No, I read it like fucking... Perfect. Like a professional. Soon Soon after, followed by obituary, morbid angel, and deus... I liked the voice. And deicide. My first ever concert of any kind was when I was in seventh grade, around 12 years old. It was a death metal show with about six bands. Deicide was supposed to headline, but they were a no-show. I got pretty jacked up in my first mosh pit, but I am only 5'6", and there were a few guys in there looking out for me, helping me up. There were two guys in there with shaved heads, suspenders, shit-kicker boots, and red shoelaces, which was the uniform of skinheads at the time. Nazi-loving racists. They tried to get a little rough and slam dance instead of moshing and the crowd took about a minute and then, and that then switched to beating the hell out of them. They left bleeding during the first band. Whoa. Death metal crowd were not a bunch of racist Nazi lovers. Anyway, you're welcome for Florida's musical contribution to the world, but don't forget to thank us for the wonderful talents of Limp Bizkit, Jimmy Buffett, Creed, Pitbull, NSYNC, 
and the Backstreet Boys. Sigh, never mind. Instead, when you think of Florida, try to remember Tom Petty and Jim Morrison. We weren't always bad. Ben. Hey, there's no wrong with the Backstreet Boys. They've written some damn good tunes. I like the Backstreet Boys. Don't, ben, I know you're a regular writer, mate, but don't, don't be slagging off Backstreet Boys, mate. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What's that song, um... Yeah. Oh, what was there? What's Jim, Jim, oh, what's Jim Morrison you people, from? can't you see? Yeah, I didn't know that either. I didn't know Jim Morrison love's from Florida. Our reality. That's, um, that's how I feel about every time Ben writes in. Every time we're down, he can make it right. And that makes him yeah. larger than life. Yeah, he's a legend, he's told Ben. Right, next next email is from Mark Cohen. Um, and now the Mark heading Cohen. is yeah. Uh, the end. The head. The heading is Angel Dust. I I only know that it's written into us before because, because that's that why you, how you said the voice. <laughs> yeah, the name last time. <laughs> Hi, Buckos. I was wondering why, out of all the songs on the F and M. Uh, album Angel Dust uh, F&M whoever at Warner Slash decided to release as a single the most popular songs on the album I mean aside from Midlife Crisis I'm not too much f- of a fan of, of a fan yeah of Small Victory and Everything's Ruined it would have been cool if they had released singles from the album songs that had differed vastly from each other like Small and Smaller RV or Gislover I, I get that Mark but in the end of the day they've got to make money haven't they do you know what I mean? You know, these. I think the Angel Dust singles, particularly in the UK, <clears throat> charted better than anything before that and after that. And, you know, they released the ones that were going to make them money. I, I, and I, I think Faith the More would have had a say on which song. I know that they definitely decided to release Midlife Crisis as the first single. And I think the record company would have had a say as well. But I, And I think the record company probably... Um, I'd have seen the videos and everything as well, but it's just a money mark making scheme, isn't it? Releasing singles anyway. Well, it's whatever you know what can I mean? played on the radio and yeah, draws people yeah. to listen to the band. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, the Gislobber would have never got played on any radio station, um, even though it's one of my favourite Faith and Morrison's of all time. RV doesn't represent what the band is or is about, and, and small. I think small and smaller but it would have made a, a decent single. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's pretty self-explanatory, Mark. Don't write into us again. <laughs> I was actually going to comment that I really appreciated that email because it was. Oh yeah, succinct. it's a great email. Thanks, it posed Mark. Sorry, a question. It gave a talking yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, if more if people, more people wrote people. emails that were that short, we wouldn't fuck them up, and we'd get on you to talking about the actual subjects. I know I did. <laughs> we got to talking about the actual subject a lot quicker. <laughs> God, stop writing emails, knobheads. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> I like reading emails, especially when they're about me. Oh, all right, I'll read this next one because you definitely have to have the one after it. Um, subject to this one, awesome podcast from Mark Caruso. Hello, guys. I love the podcast. It is great to hear so much about Faith No More. I'm sitting over here in Cleveland in the US praying for a US tour. Um, well, well, you got we'll one. See what? Yep, and then you probably lost it again. I haven't seen Faith No More <laughs> since '97. I can't wait to see my favourite band again. <coughs> Shh. I just listened to the Raging Sorry. Wrath of the Easter Bunny episode. Great job! So jealous that you guys get to see Mr. Bungle. I only got to see them once at Peabody's in Cleveland on the California tour. Let's all hope for a new Bungle and Faith No More albums. Already looking forward to your next episode. Love the. The album King for a Day, Four for a Lifetime. It's only nearly beaten by the best album ever, Angel Dust. Keep up the great work, Mark Caruso. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, controversial Mark. Controversial call over Angel Dust being the best, but it's controversial only 
um, yeah, by a, between me and you, you know, you and me, and sort of fifty percent of the audience, or you know, I think it's like a forty forty split between these two being the favourite. You know what I mean, Johnny Heap. Yeah, your old mate Johnny Heap's back. Here yeah, goes yeah. Johnny, Johnny Heap. Cheers for the shout-out on the latest podcast. Jim, I think it's the same shop that you remember. Discovery Records was on Westgate Road, up the hill past Morrison's. There was actually another shop called Rocks Rocks! That's it! That's the shop I'm actually was... uh, We used to go to Johnny, thanks for reminding me. Uh, Rocks was further up the road, above the motorbike shop, which sold T-shirts and CDs too. So it could have been that one. Yes, it was that one. I've just Googled Discovery Records and thought it had closed, but it seems to have reopened, so I may give it another visit. Um, Yeah, for those that didn't listen to the last episode, I don't know, Johnny wrote in, and we both from the same neck of the woods, and Johnny mentioned a record shop he used to go to in Bradford, and I said I definitely went to a a, a shop in Bradford to buy Faith Omar T-shirts stuff when I was a kid but it was rocks thanks for that Johnny um, feel free to write in every week <laughs> I, I just the main thing that I like is that you put the question out over the last episode and it comes back before the next that's a really nice really nice experience yep, cool. uh, Johnny oh, this is, this Johnny is, oh, here we go. fucking Mr. John again weird effing <laughs> oh look how he starts it Weird FNM tape experience is the subject. Hello, slaves. I am listening to your Raging Wrath episode. I too had a weird experience with a Faith No More album on cassette format. Darling, here is a story. I don't know if the cough, oh, he's got corona. I don't know if the cough is a reference to coronavirus, coronavirus. or just the way yep. Mr. John likes to type. Uh, in 1993, I got introduced yourself on tape. I had only heard pattern versions of We Care A Lot and The Crab Song, which I love. So after unwrapping the tape from the plastic, I flipped it to side two and rewound it, interested to hear what Chuck sounded like and hear the original song for the first time. When I pressed play, Boys to Men's Motown Philly played. Buh? Genuinely... <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> genuinely thought I was going mad. I forwarded some more. The whole of side two was boys to men. Side one was introduce yourself that we know and love. Side two was a boys to men album, which I would rather nail to my balls and admit to owning. I took it back to Woolworths and swapped its value against the CD version. It took a long time and a demo of playing the damn thing over the shop PA before they took it back. Tapes can fuck off. Since writing the email, boys to men have been mysteriously murdered with nails to the balls. Thanks for glistening. It's very cold in this cell. Mr. John is back again, which I think should be sung to the gym. Mr. John is back again. Not too Maybe we should get. I think we should give Mr. John a regular, uh, regular spot on the show. What do you think? Not if he's going to call us slaves. All right, fair enough. Uh, you know, it's weird he no, says that yeah, because I've still got it somewhere. I've got... Um, Oh, what's the famous Aussie art? I can't remember whether the New Zealand band. Um, oh, she had it. No, they're from like the 80s. Crowded House. Yes. What's the famous song they did? Don't Dream It's Over. Yes. I've got a seven inch, uh, sorry, a 12 inch copy of From Out of Nowhere. And it's got Crowded House's um, Don't Dream It's Over on the B side, even though it's um, labelled Cowboy Song. So that's, there you go. that's a rarity. That's yeah, really yeah. rare. That's one of the um, most in fact, rare it, pressings in fact, of Faith No More. My best buddy Mark, he gave me it. He bought it, and then Shout out he Mark. gave me it. Shout Mark. Um, yeah, so <clears> I've <throat> got that knocking around somewhere. That's fun, right? Next e- next email. Um, oh, it's from Leandro Louis. Yeah, again. Uh, uh, but he's changed Hyman. his. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Hey, oh, oh, he's got that broken English shit going on, hasn't he? Hey, guys. The song, song King for a Day is my favourite FNM song ever. I have always thought of that song as a song where you can hear absolutely everything the band did before and after that album. Well, that's, that, actually, I quite agree with that. You know, it's it's very encompassing of every kind of yeah. Uh, mood. Yeah, 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 I do. Yeah. By the way. Have you ever compared the King for a Day song instrumental part to the song Sound and Vision by David Bowie? No. Um, I've always seems to me that FNM had used Sound and Vision as a model and an inspiration for what what they wish King would sound like. But King is a little bit more slower than Sound and Vision. Let me know what you think. Hugs to you both from Brazil. Whoa, keep your hugs to yourself, man. I don't want coronavirus. Yeah, foot, um, kick, foot kicks, one and a half made of foot kicks. Yeah, yep. yeah, uh, but uh, I know. Obviously, I can never say I've done that. But as a massive David Bowie fan, I will be going away and actually listening to that. Oh, look, I'll, do, I'll drop a little sample in, um, which you'll hear later. All right, you yeah, won't, yeah. Well, we'll you listen to it, it now, after but, the thing. And, but yeah, I yeah. did. I had to listen to it after reading this email, and I can, I can hear what he means. The um, there's a movement, a progression of the bass line, but the bass keeps moving rather than just moving back and forth. I think it's between an A and an F sharp. Um, sort of mode, whatever's going on with the actual King for a Day, but um, the the movement of the bass keeps moving in the David Bowie song, but then the keyboards come in, and there is a similar feel. Um, okay. I kind of get what he means, but it's it's very um, yeah, it's not it's not apparent, like it's not it's not obvious at all. It's not something I would have ever picked out, um, and it's not a song that I otherwise I you know I'd heard it, but it wasn't one that I was well acquainted with. <laughs> I, something I'll mention when we get to the episode talking about it. I always thought when um, Patton sings the, um, the bit, this is the best party I've been to at the end, I always thought he sounded like David Bowie. This is the best right. party. The way he sings that. Yep. Always just yeah. felt very Bowie. No, I can, I can, yeah, I can appreciate that. Yeah, I've never, mm. never made those um, connections before, but I can appreciate that. Yeah. What's it gonna be? Because I can't pretend. Tune. I don't you wanna be more than friends. Won't hide and don't let go. So I was getting those just oh. <laughs> You fucked it up. You actually fucked it up. I was gonna do the harmony. Oh my god. Don't let go. It's fucking late here too. Um Okay. And uh one one more email to go from Jerome de Boa. Um the subject is ugly in the morning. And it says, uh, "Dear Mike and Jim." Sorry, sorry. Um, what was the name again? Jerome de Ball. <laughs> John de Ball. <laughs> Jerome de Ball. Dear John. Mike and Jim. <laughs> damn how I can enjoy your. Damn how I can enjoy your podcast, especially if you imitate the bass loops, riffs, drums, piano, and Mike Patton. We never do that. Um, no, we never no. do that. I'm glad that King for a Day is finally on its turn. Jim and Mike, could you please imitate the part of Ugly in the Morning where Patton shouts out, Don't look at me, I'm ugly in the morning? Please make it a good. 
I even did the end part for you there, Joe <coughs> Owen. So fucking get in. You in. <laughs> Please make it a conquest so we listeners can vote for the best. Before. No, I'm voting. Jim won. Counting on you no, guys. No, you've got to do it now. I can't. Go it's on. quarter to 11 at night here. It's so quiet. We'll just do it like this. Don't look at me. I'm ugly in the morning. Don't look at me. I'm ugly Don't look at me. I'm ugly in the morning. Yeah, I win. Fuck it. You win. I win. Uh, yeah. Woo. Counting on you guys. Greetings from the Netherlands. Jerome. Jerome. Thanks, Jerome. Jerome. Don't look at me. I'm ugly in the morning. That's my uh, Mary Don't Poppins look version. Don't me. I'm ugly in the morning. There was um there was a TV show here in Australia that was called um Fast Forward, and then that became full frontal i think the show was full frontal that they did mary poppins greatest hits and um it was a cover thing and um uh, one of the songs she covers is um fuck the police yep and uh no, it's wait, mary wait. poppins version and i just felt like that was mary poppins version of it she does, she's like fuck the police fuck yeah <laughs> Uh, the only line I can think of is a young, a young N-word in the uniform. And I just don't want to get controversial and start singing those lyrics. Anyway, um, that brings us to the end of the emails. All right. Yeah. King for a day, side A. Well, should we talk about 1995? Please please do. Yeah. Yeah, we yes. can talk about well, 94 well, as well. I think we do, we do this when we talk about albums, don't we? We kind of explain where we were personally. In the year it was released, we've done this. Yeah, uh, should we do that again? Are we gonna, yeah. we, at what yeah. point are we going to talk about the band and what the band were doing? Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, do that. Whatever. I don't, man. I can't give a fuck. Really, talk about the band. Let's just talk do about it. the band first. Talk about the band. Talk about right. Jim's out. The band. Talk about the band. Talk about the band. Okay. Jim's out. I got, I got a in. quote here yeah. from Mister Roddy Bottom. <laughs> um, right. So this is a quote from Bod- Roddy, and it's from the. Linear notes the linear from note, the yeah. reissues. Uh, oh no, they're liner notes. Sorry, um, from the liner notes and the reissues uh, of of uh, King for a Day, which came out in two thousand sixteen, I think. Um, you mm-hmm. know the deluxe versions, and mm-hmm. uh, unusually, Roddy was the one that that wrote um, the linear notes in there. Which you know, obviously, when as we discuss the album, we we talk about Roddy's um, absence in a lot of this. Um, anyway, the, in the very last paragraph, Roddy writes, We pushed ourselves and dealt with where we were as musicians, as people, dealt musically with loss, change and struggle. The results are as varied and chaotic as any of our records. And in a perfect world, it represents exactly where we were at the time. Mm. Well, interesting. And because we know what yeah. he was going through and he's obviously not acknowledging that. Yeah directly but uh, i think going back to what you were saying you know look look king for a day was born out of um a, a, a fractured faith no more it was written by um predominantly by bill and Patton and mike Bordin. um they pretty much got into the studio and started writing and recording um, pretty much straight after Angel Dust finished. Um, but so it, the, by Fracture Band, I mean, this, you know, this is a this is when Mike Bordin, sorry, not Mike Bordin, Jim Martin um, had been kicked out of the band. So you're saying they got in the studio right after the Angel Dust tour finished? Yeah, uh, well, they got to writing yep, um, yep. pretty much straight away. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we all know the story about how Jim and the rest of the band were pretty much at war with each other during the writing, uh, recording, and um, uh, live stints for, for Angel Dust in 1993. Got to the end of the 1993, and Faith No More kicked Jim out um, via fax. Uh, got a little quote from Roddy here. Jim always said he quit. He didn't. I fired him by fax. It was the only way of getting hold of him. Getting rid of him was a real cleansing exercise. There was no point keeping someone in the band who was only there for the money or something. Jim wasn't committed to what the band wanted to do. I'm good at sacking band members. And by fax was such a 90s way of doing things. And Roddy said that in, I think, around 2001 in uh, mm. Metal Hammer. Um, mm -hmm. But it was actually Stefan Chirazi, who was, you know... Um, Oddly enough, he's, he's best friends with Jim Martin to this day. Uh, he obviously wrote the book, um, The Real Story, in 1994. He was the one that, that actually published first first um, information on this and, and the first stories on this. Um, so Jim's gone. So we're in, we're in 1994 now. Jim's gone. Um, and Bill did say in an interview uh, at the beginning of 1994 um, that they were already writing... Uh, um, an awesome record uh, and he said in some ways it won't be as drastically different as people pr uh, probably expect so th they're moving on now the other factor that we will talk about quite a bit in this episode and the next few episodes come was that Roddy was not uh, involved really in the writing process because he was dealing with his own demons which we did discuss way back in episodes whatever um, where we discussed Roddy uh, for an yep. entire episode, you know, he's, he had problems with drugs, um, he lost his dad, he lost good friends, and it kind of, and not only this, but um, according to the band, and uh, Roddy, I think himself, he wasn't really digging Faith No More's brand of, of rock music, he was more interested in doing indie pop stuff, um, and at this point, Star yep. 69 formed, which would obviously become Imperial Teen, yep. so Roddy was pretty absent, for the uh, for the writing um, of King for a Day, and uh, so the, the core of the band um, were looking for a new guitarist. Um, and the did you uh, a few F and M facts here? Um, the Faith No More did try out Justin Broderick from Godflesh. Mm -hmm. And Ralph Spite from Victim's Family, who we saw in San Francisco, spotting Mr. Bungle. Yep. Uh, and they also tried out um, Kevin Joke... Uh, Kevin Joke? Killing Kevin Jokes! Joke. Kevin <laughs> Kevin Walker, also known as Geordie. Um, but they decided not to um, go for any of these guys. And ultimately, they turned to Mr. Bungle's Trace Bruins. Can we talk about Kevin from Killing Joke? For a quick we second. can, yeah, because yeah, yeah, um, Bill said that they were cool. They were like they were actually pretty cool jams, and I would have been really interested to hear how that. May he have gone did over. say though that they and would have ended up sounding like a Killing Joke covers band. Yes, um, yeah. because he said that as great a guitar player as he is, his sound uh, was pretty <clears throat> distinctive, and he and he couldn't escape that sound. Do you think he was interested or and they chose not to go with him or do you think it was that it just didn't work because it sounds it reads in as my opinion I would have thought that the band approached him 
because yeah, and he you might know have we, we have heard him, over the years that uh, particularly Bill um, he's a huge fan of Killing Joke so yes yep. yeah um, I think the Godflesh one may have been Mike Patton's idea he was a massive Godflesh fan oh, yeah. uh, and yep, Ralph Spite yep. would have probably just been one of those obvious selections because the band grew up with them yep um but obviously they ended up with with Trey and they said that there's a there's a bit of discussion about the fact that they I think they tried him out first you know he was one of the first to try out then they tried out other people and they just sort of kept going uh Trey's the answer all along yeah but saying that Mike Patton was um actually totally against the idea Yes. Yeah. Um, yep. And I'll read a quote from Mike here from Metal Hammer. Uh, he was actually, uh, I was actually against it. You don't want to be too much with someone. It gets a little incestuous. It was like we'd been married for a few years and now we could go out and fuck our brains out and play with some other people. It was like being reborn. It was liberating. I had some bad water under the bridge with him and I didn't want to be uh, um, in another aggravating situation. But you do what's best for the music. So Great yeah, there metaphors. was a bit of resistance from, from Patton in the beginning. Mm. Um, however, like that metaphor about a divorce and fucking your brains yeah. up. He's always good yeah, at these yeah. metaphors. Yeah, yep. yeah. Mm. Um, but I've got another quote here from Bill. Um, if anything, we did everything possible to convince ourselves that he wasn't the right guy. Patton had said that Trey was going to uh, was going to be our man, um, but he didn't even want to deal with the idea. He's known him for years, and the last thing he wanted was to be in another band with him. But in the end, we were hurting ourselves by avoiding him so hard. For a long time, it was too obvious, and we were fighting the obvious. But there comes a time when you have to realise that the right guy for the job is right there. So, yeah, so, I mean, you know... The band, I think, just in typical Faith No More fashion, they didn't want to do what was obvious and what was easy. So we get to a point now where it's 1994. Um, the band are Mike Patton, Bill Gould, Mike Borden, and Trace Bruins. Um, Roddy is offline. Jim Martin is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we now move on to... Um, what I control called the control cabin fever part of the story. Um, so they've secured the new guitarist um, and they look at a change in producer. Now, Matt Wallace, who we all know and love, had uh, grown up with the band, uh, produced every release uh, up to date of Faith No More, including pre-Faith No More recordings. Um, and this collaboration between these uh, old friends, uh, we all know, had developed an unmistakable sound because there's no doubt that the sound on angel dust the sound on the real thing the sound on on uh, introduce yourself we care a lot mike bought uh, sorry um matt wallace is as much a part of that sound as the band yes um yep. but with so many changes going on within the band's dynamics they they and matt wallace actually thought it was the best time to to try something different um, mm-hmm. Now, I've got a quote here from Adrian's book, Small Victories, The True Story of Faith No More. Um, and this is Matt Wallace. After Angel Dust, I felt like I had taken the band as far as I could. Maybe with a different pursuit, sir, maybe they could go further. It was an act of love, for lack of a better phrase, where I just thought I wanted them to run free. Um, so, yeah, so Matt's gone. 
And the producer that the band decided to go with was Andy Wallace. Now, every time I write anything to do with this, or you read anything to do with this, you have to say that he, Andy Wallace is no relation no to relation. Matt Wallace. Yeah. No. Uh, but I, I'm assuming most people out there know Andy Wallace. Um, at this point, in 1995, his credits included, never mind, um, you know, the, the Nirvana's album. It, it, it worked with Slayer. It worked with Run DMC. So, you know, not only had he, he produced some great rock sounds on his albums, but some also some great metal sounds great um r&b great hip-hop sounds um yeah so um now the thing about going with andy was andy used bearsville studio in uh just outside of new york city for for all his work and it mm-hmm. was i it was isolated i mean they were doing perfect to record there in 2020 um because they could have uh, had the self-isolation and recorded a new album um it, anyway it's near woodstock um and so the band were basically out on a limb they were out there um and like in in the middle of the woods um imagine a scene from i don't know from uh evil dead film that's why i always, <laughs> I always think of when i think mm-hmm. of them out there um so anyway bill or the shining yeah, yeah, it's basically, you know, so this environment would definitely have, these surroundings would definitely have contributed to this, this different sound which, which the band produced on this album. Um, so Bill said in 1995, we usually called in France, San Francisco, but there's always distractions. I have to pay parking tickets or some bullshit. Show up late, people are running in and out, friends come over, but this was cool. The studio's out in the middle of the fucking forest. It's on a dirt track road. There's just this studio and a cabin for two miles. It's like sensory deprivation. But the good thing about it is that we had nothing else to do but record. We actually tried to stay in the studio as much as we could, because if we left the studio, there was nothing to do. So, yeah, so you've got this, like I just mentioned, controlled cabin fever. You know, this, this, and it's all new to Faith No More. Um, and all this contributes to a different sounding album. Um, so basically, yeah, that's that's the kind of history of the band, you know, a concise history. You know, I've chopped it down a bit. So we get to the actual sound of King For A Day, the actual songs. This is what we're here to talk about. Yep. So, yeah, so there's a bit of history for you. Okay. My mouth's a bit dry now, so you can talk about something now. <laughs> The Please, the main Mike. thing that stands out throughout the entire production is just how much more raw, it's noticeably drier. Yes, um, what you get from the first um, from the first four albums is especially like you could probably say the snare drum. Like I mean, it goes right back to when we talked about how they used to rehearse in those great big um, oh, what they called were they vats? Were they, were they what were the were the, the rehearsal space? They'd be emptied out. Mm. Uh, were they called Vats? Was it, was I think they so, called yeah. it. Yeah. But the thunderous sound of the drums, and Matt Wallace had become acquainted with that, and that they were trying to recreate that energy in the rehearsal space. And so that sort of remained throughout the first four albums that you, especially the drums, always had this big, um, grand, cavernous sort of sound, especially the snare drum. It was echo- echoey, you know, just had a liveliness to it. But. We instantly, um, and we'll talk about the actual song by song soon, but overall this album just has a much more dry, direct um, intensity. It's much more raw, um, 
I think it's pretty brave, brave of them to yep. try something new, and it would have been um, uh, would have been almost a surprise to them, you know, first listening back to the production of it because it would have been something they'd not really heard before for themselves, you know. And we'll arrive at. I mean, are we, are we now talking about yep. our yep. experience of? Yeah, know, we can do. First yeah. becoming. Yeah. Because I mean, instantly, the, uh, this was. Uh, so if it's '95, I became obsessed with Faith No More. From memory, it was around mid '93, maybe '94, when I, you know, properly obsessed. I, I remember. I've already told the story about how, you know, I picked up Angel Dust, didn't fall in love with it straight away, and then through a sort of uh, a peer, someone who was a couple of years older than me. Um, he'd been telling me how great Faith No More were. And then I, my friends, you know, one friend's falling in love with Metallica and other friends, uh, big into Nirvana and Pantera. Um, and it became cool to become fixated on a band and Faith No More were the closest I had to that. So I just latched onto them more and more. And I was obsessed, like I was obsessed about them by the time King for a Day was announced as coming out. You know, like we learned there's a new guitarist, I bought in Australia. We had Hot Metal magazine, and I got a poster yeah. that had Trace Bruins on it. Uh, I remember getting into school one day, and it would have been, you know, maybe mid February. And um, one of my uh, friends at school, who was also a big Faith No More fan, said um, they played the new Faith No More last night on Triple J. I said, "No way, you're fucking with me." And he said, "No, no, they, honestly, they played it. They'll definitely play it again tonight. It was awesome." So I happened to be watching TV the next night, and he rings my rings my phone you know the home phone you know on a whatever night it was on a school night he said they're playing it they're playing it i ran to my bedroom i turned my radio on and it's right in the uh the interlude of digging the grave so it's the it's the drum beat the boom and then you know you know it's got the build up and then Patton just does the screams and they're instantly identifiable but i could hear um you know, you know, he went the way he sings comfortable and the way he sings digging the grave and the way he was singing, I could hear it sounded more mature, like it sounded older. Patton certainly sounded older, everything sounded more just straight rock. I hadn't identified yet there's no keyboards on this. And the next day this friend that had called me had actually taped it and given me the tape. So I got to go home that night and actually listen to the song in its entirety. Um, and you know, like, I mean, straight off the bat, even though we'll do a digging the grave episode, you know, even though that'll come up later with uh, side C of King for a day, um, instantly you can hear in the verse how much older and more mature Patton's voice is, um, and how much of a straight ahead rock song it was. But I mean, it was just the climate at the time I was, um, I wasn't yet 15 and I was just right there to you know, ready to love it. And I've never in my life has have as eagerly anticipated the release of an album. And in Australia, I can tell you it was, it was a Monday morning. It was a Monday. It was being released on the 27th of March. And my mum, for some reason, owed me some money because I'd been doing some chores or whatever. But my mum basically owed me 30 bucks to buy a CD. And, um, I had said to her that morning as we were in the car, because I was going to go pick up the album after school that day, um, I said, could I have that money? And she goes, well, I don't have it. And I said, I need it. And she was <laughs> like, well, I don't have it. And I, and I said, but I've got to get Faith No More. And, she goes, and then 
I can't remember. I can't. Usually, I've got a good memory for this sort of stuff. But for whatever reason, Mum owed me some money for some chores I'd been doing, and you know, adolescent, you know, um, teenage boy me in the car on the way to being dropped to the bus stop on my way to school. I just yelled at her. I said, can I have my money, please? And she just went, wow, and just, like, opened up her handbag and pulled out a purse, just like, holy shit, I'm not messing with this kid. Like, it was like, it was somewhere between absolute fucking spoiled little brat, but also she knew how much it meant to me and kind of saw, yeah, you know what, I can't. I can't let him down on this one as well. So there was a little bit of <laughs> sympathy. Um, so I got to pick up the album that afternoon. So And um, I took my, my Discman with me so I could buy the CD and also listen to it immediately, which I did. And we'll get into the enjoyment of the songs from there. But that was my King for a Day journey. Cool. Oh, well, in 1995, um, I was going through some um, changes myself. I wasn't Just becoming hair, a woman or anything in different like that. places. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, no, I was I was still a rocker at heart, but the I my hair wasn't no, no longer long. Um I'd got my first tattoos at this point. Um Ooh, But I'd stopped listening to like bluesy hair rock type stuff like Aerosmith and Guns N' Roses and stuff like that. And I was more interested in it, it, tighter, more stripped down sounds of alternative rock like um i think i had helmet it's betty was, was one of my favorite albums at the time oh, yeah. uh, i just got into therapy which um they released trouble gum i think in 94 and that still remains one of my favorite albums um super uh, super unknown was one of my top albums at the time Soundgarden, obviously but i was also listening to like blur um prodigy uh, still listening to Nirvana, Stone Temple Pilots, stuff like that. But I, I think what Faith No More had, had done in the real thing, I was kind of like, oh, I'm not really interested in that anymore. At this point, um, Angel Dust was, was still really popular with me. But the fact that when Faith No More came back, their sound was tighter and stripped down and their look was was different as well you know they'd all got short oh, hair yeah. now yep. and yep. you know it, it, it totally appealed to me i thought wow faith no more are, are, are doing you know that i'm not saying they followed any trends but they're in the bracket of people that i really like still do you know what i mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so um I, I remember i got digging the grave and was hugely disappointed with it um, just because there was no Roddy on there, that that was mm-hmm. my, where my disappointment lied. Um, but the B side obviously was Absolute Zero, which I thought was absolutely amazing. Um, but I remember getting the album, and it took me just like Angel Dust. Actually, no, no. Well, let me think. No, no, no. Angel Dust was pretty much. I clicked with it straight away, but a lot of people say it took them a long time to get into Angel Dust. It was different for me because King for a Day was the one that took me a long time to get into. Um, hmm. it, 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 I, and I wanted to, and I listened to it over and over again, but it, it did take me a few listens to really get where the band were and what was going on. And I'll be honest, I was still pretty much in love with, with Jim Martin, so for him not to be there, that was a bit of a blow to me at the time mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and I did at, back in 1995, I didn't really appreciate how, what an um, outstanding talent um, they had in Trace Bruins, you mm-hmm. know, I, I didn't really, at the time, I mean, we'll get into talking about this, but I didn't think, oh, 
these guitar play parts, these songs wouldn't have been written with Jim Martin, you know, wouldn't have been the same. Um, mm. But yeah, that's, there's, there's, I'm sorry, there's not much to my, more to my story when it comes to King for a Day. Um, unlike, you know, my Angel Dust story and my, my real thing story. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, basically I got it, listened to it, didn't like it first, then I did. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you yeah. know, when you say you didn't appreciate um, Trace Bruance as a guitarist or how incredible he is, the overall point of view that I have for this album and it, you know, as I was listening over it and thinking about what what could be said for it, um, you know, if the core sound of Faith No More, which comes up time and time again in regards to Booger Daggers and the uh, the, the drums, bass, and keyboards, essentially what I feel like happened with this album because Roddy wasn't there is that the premise of Faith No More was almost always the drums, bass, and guitars. Uh, sorry, drums, bass, and keyboards. And then the guitars would try and, and then the vocals and the guitars would sort of try and fit in, but also stay out of the way to a degree. And I think that's why Jim Martin always worked so well because he locked in so neatly with the um, with the rhythm section. But he also didn't play anything too too complex. It was always pretty straight and direct, and you know, always always pretty um, rhythm driven. Yeah, you know, there's moments that it breaks away from that. But this um, this album seemed to be that the guitar, uh, the keyboards played a less busy part and the guitars sort of played the more interesting component. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like the keyboards and guitars basically swapped roles on this album um, yeah. as a sort of general overview of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, as we talk about the songs, Trey, we will find that Trey gets spoken about a lot. Oh, definitely. I mean, I'm a guitarist yeah. too, so I, I fucking yeah. love this album. But Trey even said himself, there is a quote um, uh, where he said that when he was trying out for the band, he appreciated that all the parts sort of fit like a jigsaw puzzle. And the first thing that he did was actually write a keyboard part to Cuckoo for yeah, Kaka yeah, yeah, yeah. to show that he, you know, he understood the thinking behind the music too. So, Of course, yeah. Yeah. yeah, man. Um, yeah. Anything else before we go track by track? Um, I would like to just throw in there that, look, there's this ongoing debate between, and it's only between Faith No More fans, which is the best album. And I think mm. we know that it, it, the usually the two contenders are Angel Dust and King for a Day. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I do always think that, that these two albums fight it out for the, for, for the, for the top place. And... <laughs> I've always maintained that Angel Dust is the best Faith No More album. It's definitely my favourite. But in listening to this album over and over again, in preparation for, for talking about it for this podcast, you know, Angel Dust does um, take a, a step back to King for a Day in many ways. And it, it's something, you know, I've always said that, that, that Introduce Yourself was my second favourite album. But mm-hmm. I would think that King for a Day depending on what kind of mood I'm in, what day it is, would be my favourite album. It does switch mm-hmm. between a- a- Angel Dust and King for a Day. And this ongoing argument, I just don't think it'll ever be uh, won by a- either side. Mm. I mean, it's a it's a silly subjective argument. It was kind of that of dumb top 10 episode yeah. we did as well. But yeah, um, yeah no, but it's I, interesting I, I to completely f- agree. Whenever you put that question up on social media, 
what's best. You know, I did actually put that question up um, for this episode, and mm. we've not read any social media, but we had do this episode, but we do have another three episodes to talk about King for a Day, so I'm sure we'll get back to it and talk about what people said on social media, because there, there was some really interesting uh, things people said. Uh, you know, I, mm. it's just, I mm. asked the question, is, is King for a Day the best album? And it was 50-50. Some people saying, yes, it is, and the other 50% saying, no, Angel Dust is. So it just proves my point. Yeah, no, you're, yeah. you're absolutely right. Yep. Yeah, and I think at this point as well, we usually read out a few album reviews, but I would suggest we save them for the beginning of another King for a Day episode as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we've got we've got four King for a Day episodes to do, yeah, so, so maybe we, uh, we can cover the socials. Yeah, um, and, toward the, the and the album reviews on yeah. another one. Right, yeah, shall we? One. Shall we start out talking about the first track on the album? Get out. No, should we talk talk about first track on the album? Yes, yes, yeah, good idea. Okay. <laughs> good one, Jimothy. <laughs> Excellente, my friend. Uh, what a what a what a tune. So, get out. Written by entirely written by Mike Patton. Mike wrote the vocals. Um, he wrote the guitar line, the bass line, the drums, everything. Um, one of those songs that Mike Patton contributed to in lot in in entirely um mm. and i've got a quote that refers to that this is from bill uh, in 1996 um Patton thinks in a way that i wouldn't it's actually good for me i would never have done what i ended up doing when your fingers m- move in a way that you wouldn't do normally and you get used to it it becomes natural then you have a whole new way of going about things. For example, the song Get Out on our last record. He did the bass part and I'm thinking, what the hell is that? What notes is he playing? Why would anybody want to even think of that? (laughs) I learned it and realised it was actually really simple, just in a different way of looking at playing the instrument. And that's from Bass Guitar Magazine, I believe. Hmm. Uh, you said that he wrote the drums. Did he I mean, obviously, I guess, the main, Yeah. yeah, the main hook uh has the uh, as in the main hook uh the dirt 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 but then ba 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 that's just snare hits right so i mean that's obviously how he envisioned the song so i guess he well totally did write the drum parts yeah but he's a drummer yeah, yeah. as well Patton can play drums yeah well, i think I, I mean we don't see him play a lot of instruments but we've seen him with a guitar in his hands we've seen him with a bass in his hands in the um making of angel dust when he's slapping away on the bass he th- i think oh, yeah. he plays jim martin uh, malpractice um yeah. we've yeah. seen him play the drums we've heard him play the drums he's um, played drums we've heard him play the drums on the disco volante um hidden track like he's yeah and he's played them that. he played them live didn't he um, yes. on warpix yeah. when when in a in triple j That's right. radio yes, performance yes. yeah yep, yeah yep yep so we know that yeah. Patton's multi-instrumentalist. So yeah, yeah. I just yeah. at this okay. point, I'd just like to say that um, before we started talking about the songs, we had a little break, uh, and I'm at the moment I'm in self-isolation um, with my family, and so the kids are off school. So if you do hear lots of background noise, um, things, people screaming and stuff, I've not got anybody hostage. Um, it's my kids being the little shits they are. You still have your uh, your toilet paper thrown though. Um, no, no, we've used all that since we last spoke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. damn. I thought you. I, I was going to suggest lobbing a 
toilet roll at them each time they um um well you know, they, it won't make any difference they'll just throw it straight back past. at me yeah, so oh right. there we go they're kicking off right now um yeah so anyway <laughs> get out just be louder. is is uh only two minutes 15 seconds long which is means it's one of faith and was shortest album songs um mm-hmm. and this is something we're going to talk about um as we talk about the songs um basically the um so the the album faith no more set out to to create shorter songs that was the idea um behind you know that they're thinking um mm-hmm. while whilst writing this this album yes i recall that mentioned oh god where was that that was in an, an interview as well it was a conscious sort of decision so yeah, and Mike Patton said in 1995 in Meet uh, magazine, we really didn't have any concept or idea. We don't know what it is we do. We just know how to do it. It would be point- pointless for us to sit down and have a career discussion on what we should sound like or where we should take this next record. It's kind of like if we're feeling it, it's going to come out in a certain way. Yet we all knew that we wanted to make a record with short, concise statements, three-minute songs, and that's just it. To analyse it or come up with a plan or philosophy would kind of kill it for us. Yeah, so so Patton there, you know, he discussed um, the, the fact that they wanted to make these shorter songs. Yeah, and, and we've commented before, you can kind of hear Patton's songs, especially on Album of the Year as well. Like, it, it does sound very Patton. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. sorry, and yes, it's short. He, he actually, he also seems responsible for the short, fast to the point songs yeah yeah he does yeah and that that continued on to album of the year as yeah, well got that feeling naked in front of the computer uh well so should we start with Patton? sure start talking about his um the, the, his voice in this uh and look you can keep your growling death metal voices this is how you deliver pure anger through the voice uh and what, what i love about his delivery in this this song is it's not perfect you can hear the cracks in his vocals here and there um, but his delivery is just out of this world. Mm. Um, there's particular parts like like he's almost running out of breath, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. but he continues going. Um, there's you know I think the particular lines that stand out are there's something stronger than me. There's something I don't want to see. And at the end of that, he's like his voice is cracking. He's running out of breath on it. But instead of like redoing that line. You know, the band keep that in. Yeah, well, that that was sort of my uh, that was my comment on the whole thing. That he, um, I'll stick to talking about the vocals. Uh, it's one it's one single vocal. There's no harmonies. There's no double tracking. No, nope, no, nope, uh, nope. it all sounds very live. Uh, it sounds as though it was done across a single take across the song, and that's poss- it's possible that there could have been overdubs or there could have been a few different takes stitched together, but remembering this was 95, so it would have been done to tape. Um, so it wasn't, you know, Pro Tools and comping together vocals and everything. It would have been straight runs of things. But, yeah, it sounds like, especially in those choruses, there's something nah, I don't want to see. Like, and then he and goes it's such a drastic line. change from what he did on Angel Dust. You know, there yeah. was tons of layers of vocals, tons. I mean, we discussed in the midlife epi- uh, crisis episode, um, you know, the amount of backing vocals, the amount of layers that are in there, even in the verse. And then this is stripped back to just one vocal. Yep. It's, it's great. Yeah. And the the other thing that you, um, uh, the other thing that you notice, 
as well in that sort of rawness, uh, and this is this this thing goes into some of my other notes about the song when we get to it. But the way Andy Wallace has chosen to track his vocal, I I don't know what microphone it would have been. It sounds like a dynamic microphone in terms of a live performance microphone, like a Shure SM58. It's something that's it sounds like a handheld microphone because um, it's got a bit of that. Purr. You know, a bit yeah, of that yeah, spit, yeah. And, and it sounds like he's like really right on the maybe not that. And much, they keep all that in, which, which right is, is awesome. Yeah, it sounds like a live performance. It sounds like he's crouched over in the studio, going for it. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I really like. And I remember noticing when I first ever heard "Digging the Grave," and we'll get to that song in a couple of episodes. But you know, the screams um, in "Digging the Grave." was what the first thing that I heard of King for a Day. But the, the screams, like, I don't speak that language anymore, my blood is not that colour. And the way he screams and those sort of guttural, like, they're very dry and very raw. I don't speak that language anymore. My blood is not that colour I remember being a bit sort of not put off but i remember they really stood out because they weren't processed they weren't distorted or saturated in or in any way like they're very dry honest mm-hmm. um that's what the voice sounds like when you just scream yeah and yeah, yell definitely you know yeah. and it's it's pure it's like really authentic it's got a really authentic sound to it that song yeah, and, the, and, and you know, we, we discussed in the lead-up to the songs about Andy Wallace being there instead of Matt Wallace, and it's Andy Wallace's production, I think, that, that brings this out in pattern. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the way he approaches it. It's completely different to Matt Wallace, and I'm not saying it's it's better or, or different. You know, it's definitely different. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, it sounds like you've just... Something's just caught your attention. Yeah, and I was just reading through my notes, and... Um, <laughs> I was just going to shift on to the music now, unless you've got anything to say more about Patton. Actually, no. Not specifically, I might arrive Just just mention his lyrics, actually, just before we shift on to the music. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think the lyrics on King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime are as well written as Angel Dust. I don't think Mike Patton put as much of himself or as much of uh, his um, experiences into this album. Don't get me wrong, there's some fucking amazing lyrics on this album, but Angel does for as a whole. They are, the lyrics are just out of this world. Now this particular song, um, I, I think he had less to say on King for a Day, Full Fly Time, um, mm-hmm. and he's following his own mantra about using words for their sound rather than the meaning in a lot more on this album. Um, but I do think there's a lot more repetition and less actual poetry. Um, sure. As a whole yeah, on the album. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I, I think this might be uh, along the lines, uh, going along with the determination of the band to write short songs. He decided mm-hmm. to write mm-hmm. less lyrics and use more repetition. Um, yeah, but yeah, there yeah. are, yep. you know, in this song, you've just mentioned them, the best lyrics, my favourite lyrics, should I say, in this song are, I don't speak that language anymore. My blood is not that colour anymore. Um, and, you know, I I, I don't want to get into, I don't think we ever should get into the meaning of Patton's lyrics because, you know, he doesn't, he likes us to have his own interpretation and we shouldn't really force our own interpretation on the people. But my, I always thought it was about disease. 
in some kind of way, whether it's disease of society or disease or an actual disease. Um, mm. If you just read through them, you know, I, I, I think that's what it's about. He did say, um, I don't have the, the quote with me, but he did say that Get Out and Ricochet both had some really personal stuff sort of buried in there. Uh, okay. And I always I always got that sentiment. That the, the very first line of what if there's no more f- fun to have and all I've got is what I um, – all I've got is what I have or what I had. Um, well, it, there is a quote from Metal that. Hammer in 1995 and Patton yes. says, ha ha. Oh my God. My favorite thing, especially on this record is to write lyrics and not tell the band what I'm singing and then have them guess what I'm singing. Usually they go, are you saying what I think you're saying? And it's better than what I wrote. So, uh, I just use what they wrote instead, uh, instead of the word horn, as it's supposed to be whole and came is not in there either, but I didn't want to correct you because it's just too beautiful. Um, so yeah, patterns, I, I don't know whether he's referring to, uh, uh, uh digging the grave maybe in, in that quote, but, um, yeah, it's just great that pattern sees his lyrics that way that he doesn't you know it's not that precious that he's going to turn around to the band and say well hang on a minute that's that's wrong you know this is the right lyric he just lets them think what they think and i think that's the same with the fans it just lets us think what we think about what he's singing and you know and believe the um subject do you know what i mean we, we, it's just it's personal to everybody in it and i don't mm. you know sure anyway right should yeah. we move on to the the music well, the, um, the, the the other thing I had on the lyrics was um, when oh, okay. he says, there's something I don't want to see. I had friends telling me back when this came out that it, sometimes he says there's something I don't want to be. Now, I can tell you nearly every single time, I'm sure I can hear there's something I don't want to see or even there's something I don't want to see, but there's always that little s in there and I don't hear a b. Oh, I hear a b. Um, you hear there's something I, I don't want to be? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I always there's hear something so. I don't want to see. There's something I don't want to be. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, yeah I always hear see. But I, I, it's I've had I've had people even sit there and go, look, look, look listen, listen, listen here, and they're like, see, he said be there. I'm like, no, he didn't. He said see. So <laughs> you know, there's gonna be there's gonna be people, um, I'm sure, listening to this that also hear be every now and again. But that was something that always um, always grabbed me. Um, I never the, liked. I'm finally, she out now. But he says um, in the lyric sheet, it's it's always C. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, the the one line where he says, "Cut my losses and get out now." That's when you were saying before the lyrics aren't as strong on this album. That it was little moments like that, like saying something like "cut my losses." They're just not very classic poetic pattern. You know, that, no, that's no, not as. But but I'm not going to diss the lyrics on this album because the, the, some of them are absolutely fantastic. Mm. I I do stand by my last statement that it, it was a band's determination to write short songs, and he decided to write less lyrics to accompany these and be a bit more. Uh, and, and it's obvious that he's concentrating more on the sound of his voice than the actual lyrics he's singing on this particular totally. album. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and I get that. And we also, um, we talked about the lyrics quite a lot on Album of the Year, and it's only as you sort of bring this up now. I think you really hear a bridge from 
Angel Dust across to Album of the Year. There's there is an evolution. Evol- there's an evolution in the way that Patton writes his lyrics, and you sort of hear that movement across from Angel Dust to uh, Album of the Year. On King yeah. For a day. Well, look. If I'm, I, I don't want to get too much into this now because we're talking about King for a Day and we're talking about get out the particular song, but mm-hmm. Angel Dust. You know, sorry, the real thing. He wrote the lyrics in two weeks to music that was already written. Angel yep. Dust. He had a hand in writing all the music, and he took his time. I mean, I mean, it's quite poignant in today's what's going on today. But he put himself in self isolation, and you know, and watched these Robert Tilton things, and you mm-hmm. know, and. Mm-hmm. Tried sleep deprivation, all these things to come out with such eccentric, fantastic, uh, ambiguous lyrics. And then on this album, it seems like he abandoned all that and just went to, right, okay, let's just spit these things out as they sound and then we'll come to the lyrics after. That's, you know, um, which is something I think he's done, he's carried on throughout his career. You know, sure. I, I, you yeah. know. I think the best lyrics Pat never wrote were on Angel Dust, and since then he has I dig that. he has, yeah. he has glimpses of of genius, and then he has glimpses of well, that just fitted, you know. Um, yes, and that becomes more apparent as you go. I mean, it's even apparent on Sol Invictus, I think. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I think that's a whole episode. We could do a whole episode on Patton's lyric a lyrical evolution. Oh God, think, I'd, I'd be yeah. scared to touch that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we yeah. don't have to. We won't have to go into the the, the meanings of things. Just you just know, that evolution, how, how they've developed. Yeah, you mm. know, over the years, and you know, sure. it would be a, a, a mammoth task if you involved all his projects. I think. Yep. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm my, my my mind's just racing to a bunch of things right now. <laughs> different <laughs> different lyrics across different uh, different projects as well. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, what else? What else you got for this one? Uh, so moving on to music, um, like we just said, that all the music was written by Patton, um, and I think the obvious thing straight away when you put this album on and you hear the first track is the distinct lack of Roddy. There's no keys in in this first song. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, 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 you know, if you're a Faith No More fan and you come into this album after listening to the previous albums in the catalogue, it's the f- it must be the first thing people noticed. It certainly yeah. was the first thing I noticed. You know, I obviously noticed it before with the uh, the single that preceded the album with Digging the Grave, but with this song, no keys at all. Mm. Um, yep. And you know, it's one of those songs that when it's played live, Roddy um, exits the stage for two point. Uh, two minutes, fifteen seconds. Yep. Yeah. The, well, the, um, the other thing that you've just made me think about too, um, not counting "We Care a Lot," with you know the first album opening with "We Care a Lot," which is just drums and bass, but they made a real point of opening um, "Introduce Yourself," "The Real Thing," and "Angel Dust" with pretty keyboard-heavy songs. Mm-hmm. You know, so that the albums start with this intense, I mean, everything's there, but the, the keyboards are a big feature in the, the opening tracks to the previous three albums. So yeah. the fact that you've just got this straight, hard-hitting rock song to open King for Days, uh, pretty strong statement. Well, it does too. keep in with tradition of opening an album with an immediate sensory attack, you know, yep. all guns blazing. That def- you know definitely um, keeps up to that tradition. Mm-hmm. Agree. And speaking about the coming in with the sensory attack, I'm just going to mention this. Just remember, it's not a big, not a big deal just yet. The song, the the, the album starts with. 
Can you hear that okay? Yep. Get Out actually starts with... Right? Mm-hmm. Which is a C-sharp five, but it's not just a C-sharp... You've got to put the uh, you got to put the five in the in the the root as well. Oh, sorry, the in the bass as well. So you, instead of just being, you've actually got uh, that C sharp five appears later in our discussion of King for a Day, and that's all I'm going to say about it right now. But oh, the song okay. Opens well, with that keep chord. people on the edge of the seats, mate. Oh, <laughs> for weeks to come. <laughs> 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 Uh, yeah the other thing is uh we were speaking before about andy wallace you notice straight away you got the bam ba 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 so the, the song starts and then you just got this straight hard hitting snare drum and the snare drum is noticeably dry and you know the every other thing that the band's done has been with matt wallace and matt wallace has um you know the faith no more sound came from the vats you know that they used to jam in in san francisco and matt wallace did this superb job of recreating the big thunderous drums and the huge sounding bass guitar and this thing is so dry like it's such a dry sounding song you know Mm -hmm. that there's not a huge amount of reverb bouncing off that snare drum like it's just tight and in your face and it sounds just aggressive yeah, and, and if you listen to the stems aggressive. if you listen to the separate stems which are available on on youtube of certain songs like epic you can hear that intense reverb that that you know mm. that 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 matt uses and it's completely gone yep. you know with with andy um yep. which I, I mean i don't again i don't want to drift too far away from what we're talking about but if you listen to some of other uh some other albums andy's produced and you get the hip-hop ones like run dmc it's a similar kind of feel on that but then you listen to Nevermind, for example and the drums are a complete you know mic'd up uh, and and handled in a completely different way to to faith no more's drums there's so much reverb on the uh dave Grohl's drumming on on Nevermind. Sure, different studio too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Era, it was never mind ninety one. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So did he move to Bear? Is it Bearville or Bears? Bearsville. Bearsville, yeah. Bearsville. Yeah. So did he must he must have moved to Bearsville in between ninety one. Do you know? I do not. I don't actually know where where Nevermind was recorded. It was uh, recorded at Sound City Studios, which is what Dave Grohl did that um, big documentary about. All right, it's okay, a great right. documentary. It's awesome yeah. to watch. I'll have to, I'll have to, um, I'll have to watch that. Yeah, I, I yeah. Do know Rage Against mean, the Machines self-titled album was also recorded there, and the drum room they talk about being unusual because it shouldn't have sounded so good, but it was just just this right. space that everything just sounded great. And yeah, but you're you're absolutely right. It, it's uh, just because it's Andy Wallace doesn't mean that that's just his default go-to. To what did what did Butch Vig have to do with with Nevermind then? Uh, he. Uh, he was producer. Andy yeah. Wallace just mixed it. Oh, okay. Memory. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know how how far Andy Wallace's um, uh, involvement was. So, bitch, yeah. b- bitch, which is bad because <laughs> never mind. Is like yeah. one of my top five albums of all time. Um, but I've never really delved into it's it's the production of it. So I believe Butch Vig was the producer working with another engineer that I. Um, either an assistant engineer or someone else that may be notable and I'm sorry 
if they are. I can't I did, I did watch, Andy Wallace meets. I have watched a documentary with Butch Big <coughs> doing something <laughs> with the Nevermind album. Um, I think it's the bit that they're talking about, um, oh, what's the song called now? You've mentioned it. Maybe in this Territorial episode or previous episode. And, Yes, yeah, yeah, where they've yeah, just gone straight um, into the desk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. where well, that came up, yeah. talking about Raging Wrath. That was it, yeah. yeah yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do on. digress. Mm. Anyway, let's go back to this song. Now, the other thing about this song, um, it I, first thing I thought when I heard it was it reminded me of War Pigs, because you've got a mm. music and then ba 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 like drums and singing. Okay. So I've like never War made Pigs that correlation it. before, but I I do get where you're coming from. Yeah. So instead of like da da generals or like da 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 da, what if there's no, you know, um, yeah. and it reminded me of. Um, Black Dog by Led Zeppelin because they did the da 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 yep. And there's a song by our Ween called Stroke a Race. Um, oh, I think I know. Where I I know they that. do a similar thing. I was like, fuck, that's a great impersonation of that song. There are so many songs that I'm sure use this little formula of um, riff, singing drums, riff, singing drums, but... I think it was quite typical of the time, though, this, these formulas. You know, if you look at what Therapy were doing, for example, uh, and Helmet, you know, those short stabs of music with yeah. um, short blasts of, of, of vocals over top of of just drums or just bass or whatever, it's, it's quite typical of the time. I'm not saying Faith No More were following any um, formula that was in there at the time, but I, I would have mm. thought they would be influenced by it. Yeah, and you know, all bands influenced by a certain sound that's going around at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's, it's not. It, it's been done so many different times that it's like it's just a it's a fun thing. But it reminded. I just I remember yeah. at the time it reminded me of War Pigs. Yeah. Have you got anything more to say on this track? Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was umming in it. That was just I was like, mm, while I reach for my notes and see what's left. Uh, oh. My favourite flat five, you know, I talk about the flat five every now and again. I'm going to bring it up again. Um, I brought it up when we were talking about midlife crisis when he when he sings that odd note. But my favourite time it's used is in the real thing. Um, split second, uh, divinity, when it does a... Yeah. Remember that, remember that conversation? Yep. Yep, yep. That flat five. So the um, the bridge, get out right now. It goes to the, yep. um, that note. Yep. That's the flat yep. five. Fucking love it. Cause it, and it, uh, it's, it, it's used in a very clear dissonant way. You know, they create edge. Yeah, and it also fits in with what I've said in the past. I think I described it as a that that um, the the faith no more chord or the you know the, when they're playing a song and it it sounds quite ma- in a major key and everything sounds nice and then all of a sudden bang they hit you with a really unexpected um, shift in mood. Yeah, and that definitely happens in this song. You know, you've got the what if there's no more fun to have? Cut my losses and get out now. Get out right now. So it just completely changes. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Totally. No, I just, I just want to point it because it does come up again, and it's a yep. little bit. Even though Jim Martin used it a bit here and there, 
Um, I've noticed Trey uses it here and there throughout the album as well, this little flat fifth, yep. just to create that tension. I love it. Yeah, it definitely creates a kind of, uh, uh, like, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like an unnerving feel. Yes. You know? Yeah, well, yeah, it creates yeah. tension before it sort of resolves to a chorus. Which, speaking yeah. of the chorus, I love the bit where he goes, there's something stronger than me. And the next time around, he goes, there's something not... Um, the bass, Bill plays this great bass on his do 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 do. You know what I'm talking about? Yep, yeah, do, yep, yep. Yeah, I'll drop in a little sample because it's great. Listen to the bass do 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 do. So it's like you've mentioned the no keyboards. The one other thing that I think is really cool. So the whole song um, is pretty straight in terms of you've got one vocal track. You've got the bass drums doing their thing. The guitars are pretty straight the whole time in terms of, you know, in the verses, the that's just one guitar straight down the middle. Then when it goes to the heavy parts like the bridge or the chorus, that just becomes two guitars in the left and right ears, just like playing those sections. Um, when you get to the last chorus, you get this great feedback thing coming in. Yeah. Do you know yep, the squealing no, I mean, guitars yep. that come in? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like, um, I want to point, even though it's quite different, there's that song by Nirvana on the album In Utero called Radio Friendly Unit Shifter. Yeah, yep, I know it. Yep. Um, and it does this... Now, I'll just put a little sample in, but... That's apparently done using a poly chorus, uh, which is just a special type of chorus pedal. I've not, I've not used a poly chorus myself. Um, but Trace Bruins actually does a similar sort of sound in Egg on the first Bungle album. Okay. Um, and I'll drop in a little sample of like the guitars just doing this kind of urgent... Now, that to me on Egg sounds like a phaser with just bending and feedback on the guitar. Now, what's coming in at the end of Get Out is a similar trick. It sounds like guitars bending. It sounds like feedback. I don't know if he's got like a wah filter or something on there as well, just to sort of add to the harshness of it. But um, it just sort of reminded me of that similar sort of feel and similar sort of trick, you know, from the Nirvana thing to the Egg thing. To this, just I think if it wasn't there, the song wouldn't end with a sort of, I guess I'm going to say a dissonant urgency, like or a, a climax, like it gets a little bit chaotic and hectic right at the end. Yeah, like the wailing just sort of adds to the excitement. Like, does, yeah, does that make sense at all? Yep, totally. No, I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. That was the only thing. I wanted to sort of grab those other samples of those other songs just to sort of point out what Trey's done there because that is throughout the album. Um, and this will come up quite a few times now that as we start to talk about the way the keyboards interrelate with the guitars, I think 
that's the magic that Trey's really brought mm. to this album. All those little subtleties. I, we, we will, we'll, we'll talk about Trey a lot. Yeah. Because without Trey, this album wouldn't have the magic it has, in my opinion. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I worth, think that's why I love this album so much. Yeah, it's worth noting that um, Get Out was only played, of, uh, was played obviously, during the... Um, uh, tours f- to support the album in 1995. Uh, it was only played a few times in 1997 and 1998. Um, and then it was brought back for the Maquinaria Festival in 2011, yep. which we will discuss quite heavily in this episode as well, because that's when in Chile um, the band played the album in full and Trey was on stage. The only time Trey has ever played with Faith No More. Um, and then the band brought it back in 2015. So yeah, it's, oh. it's, yeah, it's not being played particularly a lot live since the, um, reunion. Yeah. And I, I just had one thing that I did want to say about this song mm-hmm. and look, uh, King for a Day is one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, but this is the only negative thing you'll hear me say about this album. In my opinion, it shouldn't have been the opening track. I didn't feel it was strong enough to be the opening track. I think if you took this song and put it elsewhere on the album and opened the album with Ricochet, that would have been more preferable to me. And often when I'm listening to this album, I will start with Ricochet and then go back and listen to Get Out when I'm amongst the um, heavier songs in the album. I do do that that sometimes. Yes, only sometimes. I mean, a lot of the time I do, you know, like I do with any album, I listen from beginning to end because like I have explained in in other episodes, it's a bit of a journey you take when you're you're listening to an album. Um, But sometimes I do start with Ricochet and then when I get to the end of the album or I get to a certain point, I think, oh, I haven't listened to Get Out yet. And then I put that on. Got it. But yeah, that's my only negative comment. That's the only negative comment you'll hear me say about this album. Sure. I mean, I I get what you're saying. I... It was probably just the the rock and roll 15-year-old me, or not even 15, just loved it just being a hard-hitting rock song that opened the I love the, the song. Album. Yeah, I love the song, but if someone was to say to me, um, like in what we mentioned earlier about the, the, that, the podcast, the um, worst of the best, someone said to me, which is my least favourite song on the album, I probably would go for Get Out. Even though I love it, um, I just think as from now on, the song's... Uh, better for, uh, from here on out after this song yeah 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 from yeah. here out, yeah, no, on I out i can't fault anything yeah. yeah yeah i i am not as fond of this song as i used to be i used to i used to love the everything heavy on this album i used to love whereas um th- this isn't one of the greats in my opinion it's a it's a it's a good song it's a good solid song i'm glad it's on the album it definitely shouldn't be a b-side or anything but um yeah yeah, yeah. i agree it's yep. it's yep. it's good. No, but I hear it. I hear what you're saying. I I always I do like the um the strong openers. Oh, just openers, imagine but- this though. If it wasn't on the album and the album started with Absolute Zero, can you imagine Absolute Zero being the the kickoff track for this album? It'd be wild too because he says, "Can we begin at the end?" That'd just be, yeah, 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 oh. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'd be yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, look, that that's everything I have to say on that. I mean, probably actually did tangent a little bit. More than I thought we would, but um, yeah, it's not an issue. Okay, so song number two on the album is Ricochet. Ricochet, written by Mike Bordin, Bill Gould, and Mike Patton. 
lyrics by Mike Patton. Do you know what I first heard when I heard this song? Go on. Killing in the name. Really? Yep. Oh wow. I'll um I'll drop in a sample. I'll drop in a sample of the opening to Killing in the Name. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then and then you just go to you go to Ricochet. the same note it opens with the big open d chord oh right okay yeah I, I i get that now but with the songs having such a different feeling i wouldn't have never put those uh the, that that together in that yeah way it was really um it was really funny at the time because uh god what what year was um rage against the machine but i was in no, love yeah, with rage against the machine album yeah yeah it was, oh was yeah it's, it's again 92 93 <laughs> It's one of my favourite albums of all time. Um, yeah, and and I was if I wasn't so obsessed, um, obsessed with Faith No More, I'd probably be running a Rage Against Machine um, website, a fan oh. fan page these days, because um, I do love Rage Against Machine. Absolutely. Oh, how awkward if you had to talk about Prophets of Rage with any enthusiasm, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, but and to be not, honest, not... I've never seen Rage Against Machine live. You know, I've I've I missed Neither, my opportunities, actually. and you know they're touring. Hopefully, fingers crossed, bands will still be touring this year. Um, they are touring in two thousand and twenty, um, and oh. I'm I'm not going to get a chance to see them again. Yeah, um, maybe you might now because they moved their dates or. Well, possibly, yeah, yeah. We don't know what's going on, do we? You know, if 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 the big F and M have to uh, reschedule, uh, change the dates, which let's face it, the, the, they are going to have to. Um, then I might actually get a chance to see for Age Against Machine this year. But I don't want to go to a festival to see them. I want to see them in a proper gig. I hate festivals. Yeah, me too. Mm. But uh, look, not to not to poo poo ricochet or point out oh, it's just an open D chord. It's just it was actually what I heard. You know, like I was so obsessed with Rage Against the Machine, and I had listened like that that Rage Against the Machine album was my album of that year. I think ninety two, ninety three, whatever it was. And um, oh well, no, it was, Angel I think it was ninety three. Yeah, yeah, true. It was. Uh, I was probably more into Rage Against the Machine actually. Got a got a really around ninety three. Yeah, like I was that album was huge for me right at that time. Um, I remember being introduced to it by a friend at school uh, who was a big hip hop fan, um, and we used to go to this club in Bradford, and um, um, Johnny Hoop will probably remember this club. It was called Tumblers, <laughs> and literally we used to everybody when the song came on would separate and go to each side of the dance floor. And as soon as it kicked in, we'd all run at each other and try and knock each other over. <laughs> I've got it's a very fond memory of of that time because we were only school kids as well. We weren't yeah. even supposed to be in the nightclub unless oh, it was like right. an, uh, an under eighteens night. I can't quite remember. Mm. Johnny Heat might be able to to uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to clear that up for me, but yeah. Um, yeah. So digressing, digressing, digressing. Yeah, look, I I just couldn't hear. It took took me a long time to hear past, hear past that, and eventually, and I I didn't love Ricochet on first, first while, first six months of the album. Wasn't a big Ricochet fan. All right. Okay. Mm. Well, did you know, F and M fact, that it wasn't actually <laughs> gonna be on the album? Oh. Um. Yeah. It was. Um, it's the only reason it's on the album is because Mike Bordin uh, fought for it to be on there. 
um, which is uh, the truth. Um, and Mike Bowden said in 1995 to Kerrang, that's my favourite song. I was sort of a fucking weasel and that wasn't going to be on the record, but that song turned out to be so great that I pushed another song off the record. Oh. I think it sounds great. I love that song. I really love the choruses where it gets really big and it really takes off. I love that song. So he, he loves that song. Uh, <laughs> he, and then it was the it. last, it was the last song we wrote as well. That was on the 20, uh, the, that was the 20th song that we wrote for this record. So I think it's really fitting that the first song that we wrote for the record and the last song that we wrote for the record are both on it. Yeah. So, Big. um, yeah, so Mike, Mike yeah. if it wasn't awesome. for Mike, it wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have even been on there. Wow. See, I love it now. It's it's actually one of my favourites now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just didn't love it at first. Right. The other thing that I would say, and I remember we were talking about this um, when we did the Maida Vale episode, the 90s grunge sound. Um, mm-hmm. Dean Mentor sounded really cool playing this song, actually, because he had that yeah, yeah, yeah. sloppy, fuzzy sort of guitar tone. But the um, this fits this fits in with the, the the grungier sort of sound that was happening in the nineties. Yeah, like, but I also real, I, I also I just, think it's the on, one of the only songs on the album that's a bit of a throwback to Angel Dust sound. It's got familiar angel dust sounding backing vocals it's got that middle eastern kind of melody line to it that that ottoman sound yeah i see <laughs> i know what ottoman means uh, do you know what i mean it's got it, it, it's got the at the end it's got the backing vocals which are very similar to to work which occur at the end of midlife crisis okay yeah i, I think it's i hear pro- what you mean yeah i'm not i'm not completely with you but i i, I hear what you're saying and it's the first song on this album that we hear Bill's trademark sound. We hear we hear that open growl that he plays. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the first time. And and it's am I right in thinking he's playing some chords? He's playing bass chords in this song. Yeah, there's definitely some bass chords in the um in the section where he goes, and it's okay to laugh about yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, that yeah, there's um bling yeah. bling 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 bling. There's um I actually think that might they might have double tracked the bass there and actually added a bass track in I think it was the left ear. You hear this little bling okay. bling bling bling. And it's okay to laugh about it. I said it's okay to laugh about it. Yeah, yep. um, but I think also the reason you're hearing Bill so much in this song is that there's a, no- a noticeable bit of that growly distortion on his bass that he likes to add. Um, there's there's a bit of grit in his bass tone on this song. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this is um, obviously um, uh, Roddy's back in this song. It is a very minimal part, but he's back. Um, the keys come in, um, and when they do. It, it, there's a real uplift to the song. The song doesn't start with keys and we get a whole, um, you know, we get the we'll whole, get whole intro, we get a without, verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get a bit of a, it's okay to laugh about da 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 and we get a second verse. Then it does the one day, the, is that and when that's they, when they come in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, the, yeah. and then we just hear these keys come in. I, th- I think that's what 
um, gives it a strength and possibly makes Get Out a bit of a cool intro to the album. That it mm-hmm. gives the strength mm-hmm. to ricochet when those keyboards come in. The album sort of continues to get this lift. But I think about going back to what I was saying about Ricochet, if this was the sorry about Get Out, if this was the first song on the album, it wouldn't have been so distracting for people not to, you know, because the keys would have eventually come in there and everybody yep. would go, oh, there's Roddy, fantastic, you know. And then as the album progressed, I don't think you'd notice the lack of keys as much. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I do like that. I do like that you got this absolute absence of keys for you know an entire yeah, song yeah, and then then they come in yeah and then they come in in a really it's not subtle but a, just a very um appealing easy sort of way yeah yeah mm. but i think i think the, the lack of keys is is um made up for by trey trey's um addition um you know he's, he's kind of filling the space where the keys would have been Yep. And I think that's what I started bringing up before the way that the keys and um, guitars work on this album. I th- how I would word it, if I hadn't already said this, um, is that in the way that Faith No More have worked in the past was that the guitars would have to fit in almost as the last part of the puzzle. You know, the, yep. the music was built around bass and drums, the keyboard would create the sort of um the atmosphere and everything and the the guitars had to fit in around vocals going around all of that as well whereas i feel like trey's parts on this album took priority over the keyboards and the keyboards were really sort of slotting their way in and this song is one of the stronger examples of that well well roddy says something about that very thing in adrian's book small victories Uh, Roddy says he has a really good ear for writing stuff. He has a really good ear for what sounds great. He understands keyboards really well. The bonds between keyboards and guitars and he's really diverse. We've never wanted to limit ourselves to one particular kind of music or one particular anything. And it was clear from the start that Trey Trey was the same way. But that's the thing. He he knows how to lock in straight. And then he's also got these parts that are really sort of interesting and... um expansive or detailed or atmospheric sort of all happening in the ones and what i really like is the intro of the song and he does it again coming out of the first chorus um where he's using the wah pedal as like a frequency sweep Mm -hmm. um and what i mean by that is that if you imagine the wah pedal which people would know most famously as like um, Jimi Hendrix in uh, Voodoo Child, where you got the wow, 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 which is just rocking your foot a lot. Wow, wow, wow. He's just slowly doing like this, like you know, like very, <laughs> these sounds. I actually thought this is really funny. Check this out. I, I can imitate it. I'm going to put my phone in my mouth and do the intro to Ricochet. Ready? Go on, man. See? Fucking trippy. Make that sure works. you wash your phone now. <laughs> Had someone cough Don't know where Mike's mouth's been. I just put the phone. <laughs> uh, 
but you can, that's what you hear in the intro of the song. You get this, wow, and it sort of opens up and then it sort of closes back up again. And he does these really and cool. He adds little, all that feedback as well. Yeah, and all that, and that's all happening with uh, feedback and wire pedal and stuff. And he just creates this space and, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. That idea brilliant. of phone in my mouth was more impressive in my head than maybe how it came across. Well, but it works out. It works. Leaving out. it in. Leaving it, it in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, oh, this is one of my notes. The um, so the song we've gone from Get Out, which has just the single vocal track. The verse actually has a really nice harmony to it mm-hmm. but not only that i actually think both are double tracked so i yeah, actually think yeah. we have i think we have four vocals um in the verse because you've got okay. the main vocals singing all of that thick time without you and the harmony to that also um being double tracked so you've got vocal uh, four vocals running which makes it sound um uh, it just makes it sound really full. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. And then they go into unison at the, uh, and it's okay to laugh. And I don't know if that's, that th- if that's three or four vocals, but it sounds like more than two. Yep. Yeah. Which is just a cool effect. Yeah, I'd like to talk about um, Puffy's drums on this as well. Because, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I mean, even though they are quite minimal in the beginning, you can, through his cymbal work, through what he does on the cymbals, you can hear the skill. I, I, how many drummers can do that? Do you know what I mean? There's very few drummers that can sh- show the skill of, of, of how they're good at the art at percussion just using a cymbal. I don't know which bit you're referring to. Like, so like um, in, the, in the verse, in the beginning... You've just got the you've got the crack of the of the drums, and then he's in between. There's there's the uh, tip tappy on the cymbal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and but Puffy comes in at I think it's at about one minute. Well, I know it's at one minute six seconds. Um, and crack, there's a crack from his snare. And it's quite unexpected. Mm-hmm. Do you know which mm-hmm. bit I'm talking about? No. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've uh, but yeah, I think I think I think Puffy. Yeah. One minute and six seconds, you say? One minute, six seconds. Oh, I think it was 104. Here we go, let me go back. There, that, yeah. Yeah. It's a nice little accent. Puffy's great in this song. Absolutely great. Yeah. Um, Do you have anything more to say on the music? Because there's a hell of a lot to say on... The lyrics. The uh, well, the, I've got one more comment on the vocal. So okay. the singing, not necessarily lyrics, but the. Um, yep. uh, it's always funny until some, and then you've got the other. It's always funny until someone gets hurt. Um, I'm singing that fucking terribly, but there's the there's the main vocal, and then you've got this descending vocal underneath it. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? I do. I just, I, it's yeah. just a really cool... Because um, it's always funny until someone gets hurt. So, that yeah, the main vocal ascends, but the harmony descends. And I always thought yep. that was a cool little thing. 
Kür, Allergie. That's, that's everything I have to say on the music, so, yes. Lyrics. Okay, let's move on Jimothy. to lyrics then. So, this song, um, on set lists, uh, was referred to as Nirvana, um, which got mm. the press talking. The press um, said, well, therefore, if it's called Nirvana, we're assuming it's about Kurt Cobain. Now, Roddy Bottom addressed this, and he said, it was written the day that Kurt died. That's just why it was called Nirvana. Uh, um, he also goes on to say that um, the lyrics in the song are his favourite lyrics on the record. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so there's there's not much evidence that it does um, it's, that it's about Kurt. So um, uh, here's a bit of a quote from NME or Melody Maker. Can't remember. Um, so the the journalist puts several lyrics on King seem to snarl against the trap of celebrity, entrapment, and the aging process. But Patton dismisses any suggestion that Kurt Cobain's saga had any effect on him. Patton says, "I didn't know him or anything." As a singer in a rock and roll band who may have gone through the same things that he did, you had no, had no thoughts on the feeling about the whole business. And Patton says, uh, "What can I say?" What can I say? I'm sorry. Bad things happen, you know. I'm sure it wasn't as great as everyone thinks it was. His suicide. I'm sure it wasn't a glamorous event. So, you know, they're they're basically putting off, you know, putting people off the idea that it was actually about Kurt Cobain. Um, Yep. And there is is a line, I just want to point this out, there is a line in the the lyrics um, that this, this is a line from Lewis Carroll's Alice Through the Looking Glass. Now here you see... It takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. If you don't want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast as that. So um, you know, it's, I don't know whether I don't know whether Mike Patton read Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Grass, but I just think it's quite interesting that that line um, is very similar. Is it interesting? Yeah, it, it, it rings a bell that that's been uh, quoted before as a reference that he may have lifted or been inspired from because he's certainly been inspired from other yeah yes yeah so anyway so um the moral of the story is it's not about kurt cobain or maybe it is i don't know <laughs> i mean there are certainly i mean the, the song's called ricochet for one and the the themes behind it but um a Patton said you know there was that quote i was talking about before about get out and ricochet both having personal stuff in there yeah, the themes of the song, even though he's talking about metaphors and analogies around, you know, getting shot, mm-hmm. it sounds like a heartbreak kind of song. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. But again, you know, like like we always keep coming back to Patton's lyrics are never what they seem, are they? You know, you're a weak assessment of them and they're not what they think we think they are. And, you no, know... Well, I mean, he's... He, yeah. Patton disparaging what people are saying about it being about Kurt Cobain might be just them playing with the press. Uh, of course, there's the uh, that main quote, um, it's always funny until someone gets hurt and then it's just hilarious, which is a Bill Hicks quote. Oh, right, okay. Yep, I didn't I didn't know that. Hey, uh, that's one of the, yeah, one of the well-known quotes. You got more action happening we in the background. We get a lot! No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, someone save me from self-isolation. <laughs> 
We have to change the uh, the title of the episode to just the the isolation, the self isolation yeah, 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 episode, yeah. the quarantine episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> going to live performances. Um, Faith the More played this obviously a lot in 1995. They completely dropped it in 1997 and only brought it back for the reunion. Oh, they they never played it in 97. No, 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 not that I can uh, find. I um, it is a for me it is a favorite and it's a it's a favorite live. I was lucky enough to have them um, to <laughs> words words Mike use use your words. <laughs> I was lucky enough to see them play it uh, in Sydney at the Horton Pavilion uh, in two thousand. It was the reunion, yeah, yeah. around 2010. Look, this this song could have made it into yeah. my top 10 um, quite easily. I absolutely adore this song. It's brilliant. I'll say it's in my top 10. I can never remember what my top 10 is. No, so. I can't remember what It's in my top 10. ten. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a great performance of this uh, on Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Yes, I know the yeah, one. Yeah, it's a really cool yep. performance of it. Um, and, of course, this song was released as the second single from the album. Second? Yeah. Dig in the Grave was the first. Evidence. Uh, no, Evidence was the third. Faux Reels. I wonder if it was different in Australia. I swear I thought Evidence was number two. Uh, no, I, I'm thinking, I think it was second. I'm, I haven't got the exact dates up in front okay. of me, but um, and uh, there was a video, accompanying video, directed by Alex Hemming, and it featured footage that was uh, filmed during the band's show at... Um, Elise Montmartre in Paris. Oh, I enjoyed your pronunciation then too. That was pretty. That good. was that was good, wasn't it? You know, usually I'm shit at that, yeah, but that was yeah. pretty good. Um, not a not an easy song to sing. At the end, when he does the "You can laugh at me when it misses you" bit, mm-hmm. uh, especially '95, because um, that that's quite high the way he's sort of singing and it's quite passionate. And he started just instead of the, you can laugh at me, he just started doing it. Fuck, I'm singing like shit tonight. But um, he just started going, you can laugh at me when it misses you. you know, like yeah, He just yeah, sort of yeah. wrapped it yeah. almost. Yeah. But I loved at the reunion... Um, and Sol Invictus shows when he was doing more recently I might just actually grab a sample because I can't sing for shit tonight but he goes into an even higher note you can laugh at me when I misses you and just does his great great it's great <laughs> sample great. it's great yeah Yet yeah, so um, I was right. Ricochet was the second single released. Um, got to number okay. twenty-seven in the UK, number fifty-eight in Australia, uh, and they're the only two Sorry. places that it charted. Oh, okay, well that's um, pretty cool. It was released on the first of first of May, nineteen ninety-five, as a single, um, and Evidence was released on. Well, it says May the 8th, but I think we know that's not quite accurate. It was July the 17th when it was released as a single was was evidence. I think that might be Wikipedia getting shit, shit wrong. Um, Yep. Well, well done for your knowledge. Yes, I'm very knowledgeable when it comes to... Did you know that date off your head? Seriously? No, I just Googled it. Oh, but it was different on Wikipedia. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't go to Wikipedia hmm. for my resources. I go to a nice little website called faithandmorefollowers.com or fnmfollowers.com, which is the new website. Check it out. It's very, very entertaining. Okay. Right, okay, that's all I've got to say on the fantastic song, which is Ricochet. Uh, and I concur. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Samesies. <laughs> Samesies. Yeah, but we can't, we can't high-five each other. We have to do that elbow thing. Yeah, oh, but the, Australia's gone into um, the next phase of sort of lockdowns and they've closed all um, pubs and cafes. My best mate, shout out, Lucky. He's got a um, he's got a cafe in Randwick in Sydney, and um, so they were um, at midday today. They had to switch to takeaway only. Mm-hmm. So duck duck down there for a, uh, a breakfast and coffee this morning. Couldn't even give my mate a hug. I had to give him the elbow bump. Yeah, it's crazy. And, isn't it? um, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just it's just wild, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's all. It was just the, the elbow okay. bump. I just had to. Yeah. Mention his cafe. If anyone's uh, in Sydney, um, reach out to me and I'll tell you where his cafe is. It's fucking I'll, good. I'll tell you what, though, Mike, if you want to open the hole. Just put my head down, I guess. Yeah, just go. Go. Okay. Go. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. is it, but maybe you've got to open the horn because he said they got the words yeah, wrong. Yeah, maybe it's the horn. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so because then you've got to put your head down and gone. Put your head down and gone. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> This is great coverage of evidence so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. We're doing a very well, good job of this episode. <laughs> Definitely. Right, where should we start off with this song? Um, <sighs> I'll start off with a fucking... quote from Roddy okay. Bottom, nineteen ninety-five. I like that song. It's pretty different for us. It's very laid back, groovy. There are some real strings on it. The punctuating sort of strings, a sort of soul to soul vibe. Hmm. Hmm. I've got to, I don't know, I really have much to add to that. That I, I, this song to me is perfect. This song to me, this was is, in your top ten. I remember that. Yeah, I feel like it was number two or three. Um, yeah. I think it was number two. I, I feel like caffeine. No, the real thing. Then this, then caffeine. I feel your like caffeine wasn't even in three. your top ten. You're lying. Yeah, it was. No, no it, it was. wasn't. It wasn't. Yes. I've told your your top the ten three. was um, instrumental song. Um, it was uh, Give It Away. It was um, <laughs> Killing in the Name. Oh, I can't remember, but certainly this wasn't in there. This was in there. Sorry. <laughs> that was beautiful. It was. I was looking at my notes for the previous one that said Killing in the Name, just as you said that. It was. All right, that's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. Patton said about this song, we've always wanted to write a great pop song. Evidence is just that. I think we needed to lose a guitarist to achieve this end result. And that <laughs> is exactly right. And, you know, I've got a note here that says that Trey's guitar work is amazing. No one can play it like Trey. Even live, John, uh, apologies to John, apologies to Dean, but the, no one could play it like Trey. No one could no. keep, you know, and I will keep returning to this as we talk, but this is a song that wouldn't have been possible with Jim Martin. Um, he doesn't have the right tone or the right ability with his wrist to play this 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 guitar his line. Wrist. Yeah, yeah, he couldn't he couldn't move his hands mm. I, like mm. like Trey can. Um, and the, if this song had been written and Jim was still in the band, there probably would have been no guitar in it. Pretty much like Edge of the World. You know, that's that jazz mm, funk mm, feel mm. to it. That It's a bit like, you know, one of Patton's favourite artists, um, Sade. It's got that, you know, it, it, it's, it's jazz funk, 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, it's lounge. Yes. Or jazz yeah. funk. Actually, you're, I don't know if there's really a, it, it's, 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 what I, what I was going to say is, um, fuck, what's Rick Grimes' real name? The guy that plays Rick Grimes. I'm getting to something with this, um, from Walking Dead, that, that actor guy. It's Andrew something. Andrew Lincoln. Okay. That's so funny. this song is Kira Knightley and I am Andrew Lincoln. And to me, it is perfect. Oh, we're talking... Um, love Actually. Love Actually. Yeah. The, I don't the get song. that at all. I don't, really don't get what you're saying. Oh, you For, don't get a, I think you that get a you may have, may have lost the plot. Do you, you know, you did you see the movie Love Actually where he stands outside and he holds up yeah. and plays yeah. the Christmas carols and t- yeah. she yells out to her husband that's carolers and then yeah. he holds up the signs and says all this shit and at the very end yeah. he just goes, to me, you are perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, basically this song is Kira Knightley and I'm him and I'm just saying this song is perfect. Oh, Okay. Right, okay. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. It's, um... <laughs> there's, it's, be, it's And flawless. Mike hasn't there's... been drinking this episode, guys. No, I haven't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's, um... You could play this song five times over and start by listening all the way through to the vocals and then just go back and just pay attention to the bass and then just pay attention to the keyboards and strings and just play attention. Every single instrument just plays its part beautifully in this song yeah 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 it's gorgeous it's sublime it's got a lot of space which is very unusual for faith yes yeah that's it's very unusual technique for faith the mother usually their their songs are very cluttered uh, in a good way Uh, but this has got a lot of space it's very open the 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 way the um piano comes in first up a bit higher and then the guitar comes in underneath with that like that's fucking gorgeous. And the other thing I wanted to point out that's fun about this song. Can I just say, is, do you know, um, have you seen that? Have you seen that news interview where there's a news reporter and he's talking about something really important, and his kids come in the room at the back, and yeah, then the, the mum has to come and grab them and take them out. This is what's happening to me right now. Um, do you know this song that goes um? That's a, that's a Green Day song. Then you got this song that goes. That's another Green Day song. Um, Are you going somewhere with this? Yes. And then you've got um. So t- fucking glory box. Um, Part said, yeah, yeah. Or then you've got um. Anyway, while my guitar gently weeps, also anyway, my whole fucking point is that um, this song. Oh, there is a point. There is a point. You're yeah. not just yeah. showing us your this, repertoire this, from your this covers band that you do at weddings on a weekend. Follows the same progression as what the, all those songs do. Excellent. Thanks for that. Yep, you're welcome. Woo! <laughs> Fascinating. Um, it does uh, do something a little bit different, but yeah, just a similar uh, sort of vibe yeah, okay. to Glory Box. Yeah. And so uh, wh- wh- where should we start? Should we start talking with Roddy's Keys? I already started talking about it. I started talking about that awesome progression. 
Yep, okay. Well, look, look Roddy uh, comes into his own in this song. His piano melody is amazing, uh, coupled with the guitar playing along with it. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, again, I keep reiterating, not something that I think Jim could have pulled off. Um, and then you get those strings coming in. Now, obviously, Roddy does them live, but as I mentioned in an earlier quote, they were actually um, real strings that were recorded in the studio. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who, um, who arranged them. I think it might have been Bill in this case. Oh. I don't think I've actually... Was it Bill or Trey? quote on the uh, strings. I know that Trey did the choir, but we'll get to that eventually. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think I've got a quote quite on who who organises, arranged the strings, sorry. Um, But yeah, um, Roddy is absolutely brilliant on this song. I think we elaborated quite a lot on this song um, during our Roddy episode. Did we? I think so. God, fuck, I feel really vague. Must be the coronavirus. (laughs) <laughs> that was a really evil laugh wasn't it and, and then you've got that breakdown that's at like at f- four minutes dun, dun. which which concentrates on the bass guitar the bass sounds absolutely fantastic there dun, dun. and then roddy you've got roddy's keys doing those kind of sweeping chords yep dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So the thing is, my notes on this song, and, and sorry I am being a bit vague because I'm sort of reading through, eh, they're just, they're not helpful notes because to me, the the guitar throughout the song, the the use of the wah on the guitar is just really tasteful. Um, all the parts of the, the guitar, the way that it interweaves with the, the piano as well, all the piano and string parts are just gorgeous like it, i just really yeah. didn't and then i actually made a point of saying like andy wallace's production on this is just and you said a lot of space like there's really mm-hmm. beautiful atmosphere in this song Patton's vocal I, I can't remember i feel like i've mentioned this before but i thought it was a girl singing evidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's a man he's got a man's voice i love the closeness of his the sound of his voice in this like he's like he's whispering the lyrics in your ear yep He's yeah, right, yeah, he's, he's, he's right just, on it. Yeah, 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 totally. And then he opens up, obviously, for the choruses. Yeah, um, I didn't feel a thing. I didn't mean a thing. Yeah, absolutely brilliant stuff. Great, um, great harmonies at the final chorus as well. Sort of really helped yeah. lift the song. Yeah, the totally. uh, and and actually, when you were talking earlier about the lyric, I really like the lyrics in this song, and that I didn't feel a thing. It didn't mean a thing. Like really simple, but really effective like it's the good kind of um the good kind of simple yeah i was not, I was, know, they're the, not lazy to me yeah yeah they yeah they they these are some of the great lyrics on the album they're quite ambiguous as well i was, I was never sure and still aren't to this day whether it's about drugs or about cunnilingus they were my two things that i thought it might have been about yeah i always thought it was about drugs um one just to do with evidence um, put your head, you know, open the hole, put your head down and go. Like I figured it was like a cavity search. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever noticed um, that when Faith Lamar write a song that would suit lyrics about love or about something tender, 
Patton goes completely the opposite way and goes for the kind of anti anti love stance. Do you, do you know what I mean? If you look at yep. uh, Underwater Love, you know it's a nice, it's a pop song. Uh, yeah, he's writes lyrics about drowning your girlfriend. If you look at Edge of the World, which could suit really sultry, yeah. nice yep. lyrics, he wrote, writes about a paedophile. And yep. in this circumstance it, you know that the, the lyrics we're writing as i say we're not really sure about what, what they mean but it, it could be about drugs or it, you know it could be about going down on someone which you know it's not exactly a love song is it <laughs> i've never thought about it I, I always thought it was about a drug bust you know similar vibe to strip search you know like um because he, he does go anything well, well, you say you know you're guilty when you, when you take the head. whole album here and you think about what um, Roddy was going through at the time, it, it wouldn't be um, wrong to think that a lot of this album is about drugs and about the effect drugs have on people and about the effect drugs particularly have on uh, um, celebrities, you know, and then that would bring in what happened to Kurt Cobain in some way. Um, so, you know, and, yeah, and we sure. always find with Patton, it does seem that there is a, there is a kind of overlying underlying sorry theme to all his lyrics on each album uh, you know i, I yeah, think sure. that if yeah, you look yeah. at angel dust it does seem to be an underlying theme of of different stages of age um so this one yeah could you've be, said that before yeah yeah could have like an, an underlying theme of the effects of drugs on you know anybody in and depending on their circumstances yep yeah, i think possible. it's it's just it you know, for as much as I said that I always just assumed this song was about a strip search or cavity search or something, because the lyrics can point to that and a drug bust. They are, there's something sexual about them throughout. You know, especially like when he gets right, you all feel me, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So when you're talk, still talking about Patton's lyrics, um, I did have to go to uh, Andy Bowie on this. Shout out, Andy. Um, hey, and uh, yeah, it's been sung in four different languages: Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, and English. I've not uh, heard the Italian all, version. All song, all the versions have been sung live, and it it, it took um, Rodrigo to shout out Rodrigo um, to uh, to. What's the word I'm looking for? To to confirm this, <laughs> confirm this that all the songs have been recorded as well, and uh, you can find some of them on YouTube. You can find the um, Spanish version is on the uh, uh, bonus tracks. Um, the Portuguese version is on the bonus tracks, um, which are both on the um, deluxe edition. Um, but yeah, they've recorded. Uh, the Italian version as well, which you'll have to go find that on YouTube. I've never heard the Italian version. Yep, 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 yep. That's yep, 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 That's actually quite a feat to record a song vocally four times and to do it in different. You know, to translate the lyrics you wrote in English to mm. all those different languages and make them fit into the space of the song. And we all know Patton loves. Is getting his uh, phrasing perfect, so yeah, is yep. you know for Patton to do that, it's it's really outstanding. But to just just to fucking sing it, fuck, he's a prick. <laughs> <laughs> just to sing it so exceptionally well, like the, the vocal delivery on this song. 
I don't know the other versions that well. But no, I, 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 I'll be honest, I didn't... I've heard them. <laughs> I didn't know that he'd recorded it in so many languages, uh, to be honest. I've um, heard the Portuguese and um, Spanish, and they uh, they sound just like... Vocally, just melodically sound just like the English version. Well, it's great that he sings these songs to the particular audiences. Yeah. Yeah? yeah do you know what I mean? Uh, the Italian version... Um, as I'm looking here, is available. You can hear that on the uh, um, reissue, but the, the vinyl version. Oh, so there you go. Cool. Yep. So, but yeah, he's, you know, he sung all these different versions live to you know, depending where they're, they're playing it in the con- in the world, and I think that's really cool. In the con- in the what? In the in the world. Oh. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say country, but yeah, depending on which country, that's what I meant. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, uh, and another great example of this live is on Hey Hey, It's Saturday. Is that an Aussie thing? Yep. Yeah, and it's a, it, it's a playback. They're all miming, uh, apart from Patton. And Bill's miming on a double bass, which is absolutely yep. cool, because obviously he, he mimes on a double bass for the video, because um, this song was released as a, the third single, Mike. Um, yeah, and, apparently so. And, you know, it's got the great video... Um, best, which was Faith No More's best video you think so? You agree? Is, that, yep. is that your opinion? Oh, that's cool yep. and that video was filmed by Walter Stern who had previously worked with The Prodigy so you've got that if you think about The Prodigy videos of the time you've got the video for Breathe which is fucking brilliant with the alligator in the bedroom have you seen that? Oh, I would have seen it at the time yeah it's a great video um, so yeah that that it, it continues that kind of like dark um, brooding theme that Faith No More had yeah. around this time for the videos and it was filmed in a basement club in San Francisco. I can't remember the name of the club. It might be the 101 club, but I do remember talking to Bill about it and he said that the actual club itself is now closed down. Oh, um, yeah. So, <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's a real shame. I sounded it? so engaged, didn't I? Yeah. I'll tell you what though, if it had been open, I'd have been checking out that club when I, on my trip to San Francisco. Yeah. Definitely. Was, that that was in, actually just That would have been in my, mind. uh, my my um itinerary of places to visit um yeah uh but and then another great example of this live is again the Macquarie festival 2011 in chile and i need to watch that actually uh, look it's a great it's a great the, the, there's there's bits. only pro footage of of one song out there of the uh, of uh, just a man but there is some um uh fan footage I think that's been pieced together by FN the the uh, Faith No More fan page FNM Forever. Big shout out to those guys; they do some great work, um, particularly on YouTube. And yeah, I watched it in preparation for this again for this for this episode. And again, it reiterates the fact that I don't think anybody has pulled pulls this song off as well as Trey. If you listen to Trey's mm. the version with Trey playing live, which is the only version you can see. Um, the movement in his wrist and his fingers is just fantastic, especially to pull off those twiddly little solos that he does. Yeah, You know, uh, I think this song is, it's all about feel and mood and groove. It's not about getting it technically spot on. John gets it technically spot on and so does Dean, but they don't have the same groove and the same feel that, that, that Trey has. No, no. 
I, I actually really need to rewatch. Yeah. And that's that. the that's the key thing about this song, you know, the recorded version and that one particular live version, uh, 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 miles ahead of all the other live versions you'll see. And it's it's the groove and it's the feel that Trey puts into that guitar line. I think that makes this song. Do you know the only thing that drives me crazy about watching that fan footage of the the I've always said Macquinara Festival, but is it Mac Macquinara? Is that what you're saying? I'm, what am I saying? Macquinaria. 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 Could be Macquinaria. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not uh, Chilean, so I don't know. No, I'm from Yorkshire. If if if, if I were to say it in Yorkshire, what Macquinaria? Mac Mac what? Mac Mac lads. So the yep. Macquinaria. But yeah, the Mac- Macarena, Macarena <laughs> Festival, <laughs> Macarena Festival. <laughs> the uh, the thing about the frustrating thing about the Macarena Festival <laughs> is that they just keep filming Patton the whole time. It's like fucking trays on guitar over there. He's never ever played in the band before. They're doing a King for a Day. Like just for a second, stop looking at Patton. Can you just look away for a pattern just for a moment and then the guitar solo starts playing and then at some point the person filming goes, oh, I might, might go and... And then it's frustrating. Cool. I've got, Only because I'm got, trying to watch Trey the whole time. I've got one quote to end the discussion on evidence with uh, and this mm-hmm. is from Mike Bardin. And he said, that's the one I'm most proud of. All the songs turned out really great on this album, really aggressive, and we've always done that really well. But the smoother songs, I've never felt we got exactly right. And this one is pretty damn close to being um, exactly right. Uh, and I, I, I agree with that. I think this is the best smooth, slow, soul, you know, uh, uh, grooving song that Faith No More ever. Uh, ever did. Yeah, yeah, any, I've ever any, done. Any yeah. band ever. Oh, okay. Anybody. Any band ever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, when um, when you did the interview, the questions that you put to Bill Gould for F and M followers, uh, mm-hmm. the questions for the real thing. Oh yeah, yeah. There yep. was a question I wanted to put to him, and um, I didn't because the questions needed to revolve around the real thing. But one question that I would really love to put to Bill one day, because Bill's kind of the Ah, how would you describe Bill's like the the main guy of Faith No More, so to speak? Yeah, like he's the, you know, once he's the, I asked him for an interview on some about something, mm. uh, and he basically turned around to me and said, "Would you mind asking one of the other guys because I'm t- I'm becoming the Lars Ulrich of Faith No More." <laughs> and what he meant about that was he was the only one doing interviews and talking about the music. Uh, and I think this was before Sol Invictus when, uh, when, and if you look at the Sol Invictus interviews, Bill does a lot of them, but yeah. Mike Patton gets involved, John gets involved, uh, Roddy does a lot of them. But I think for that space in between the reunion and Sol Invictus, there was only really Bill that was talking about Faith No More. Oh. Um, so yeah, yeah, I do. I know what you mean. He's like, he's like the front man. He's like the guy that, you know, the face of the band if, uh, when it comes to uh, the press. Well, the, the question that I want to put to him, and I, I still, if Bill wouldn't mind, I'm going to ask, you know, find a way to ask him this one day. It's that, you know, as as an artist, like and if anyone's an artist that does any kind of creativity, you get an idea in your head of a thing. And, you know, in this instance, it's a song. And 
if you're a songwriter and you get the idea, you get the initial inspiration of a song and then you go, I'm going to craft this into an entire piece. And over the course of time and you're collaborating with people or whatever and you might demo it or you're jamming it in the room, but you start to get an idea in your head of how the song will sound as a final product. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's so easy to um, to be disappointed in the end because um, especially if you're not, you know, a, a band with a big budget working with a great producer in the best environment, you know, when, when you're an amateur and especially like someone um, like me or like anyone who's a, a musician that listens to this podcast will know how this feels. You get an idea of a song that you've written, fuck, oh, I'm getting to it, but you get an idea of something you're trying to craft and you get to the final thing and it just it just doesn't land like it just doesn't quite sound as good as it sounded in your head and i just wonder how did the band feel about this song when it was done because this to me if i was involved in the crafting of this song and the final outcome like it would have exceeded my expectations it would have just yeah, blown me away i was just like, going to say it would have I would I would have been yeah I'd have been wow that's come out so much better than I, I thought it would. Yeah, I just wonder especially if- especially when you listen to some of their earlier attempts going back to what I've just said of of doing a smooth song. Um you know look look at Edge of the World, look at RV, you know they're the kind of like maybe even Midlife Cowboy even though it's cover. You know, mm. I think this is where they successfully wrote and pulled off a perfect pop song. Perfect, chilled out, cool, you know, I've mentioned her before, like Sade type, soul, R&B type song. This is where they, this is where they exceeded in that. The combination of arrangement, instrumentation um, and the production, it's just, yeah. it's, yeah, I I wonder if the band were absolutely stoked on it and then one day that I'd be wanting to put to the band and especially Bill, like what were some of the songs that exceeded expectations? Cause you've um, encouraged me right now to grab hold of my single version. The, the, the uh, I'm using the cassette version today of this song and I'm sticking it up the crack of my ass and it's making me feel so good. Oh, you're putting the cassette tape in your butt. I am. <laughs> okay. And do you want to leave it there as we continue? Because yeah. if you tighten no, I'm up just going to say at this point, I think my wife may have murdered my children because they've been very quiet for a long time. Oh, good. Well, let's get this and done. And as we're inside, as we're in isolation, I know they haven't left the house. So my kids may be dead. All right. Well, this will be um, <laughs> our last ever episode, ladies and well, gentlemen. No, not really. It wouldn't stop me carrying on. <laughs> yeah. We may as well finish the other three King for a Day episodes at least. Yeah, come on. I mean, you know, what's a couple of <clears throat> dead kids? I know I'm, I'm getting really oh, I'm only joking. <laughs> Do you want to keep right, moving? Okay. Yeah. Go on. You can introduce the next song. The Gentle Art of Making Enemies. Did you know? This isn't an FNM fact. This is a James McNeil Whistler fact. Um, this was a book by the painter James McNeil Whistler, a collection of his, uh, his, his artwork. It was published in 1890, I think. Yeah, and um, that sounds a bit early, but yeah, maybe I got my note wrong there. But yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very 
positive that that um, Patton lifted the title of this song from from that because it's a very particular phrase. We see this here. We see this time and time again with Patton that he was he was an English major in university, or that was yeah, that was his major in university. Before he did he drop out of uni, but that's yeah to, yeah to do to do yeah to join Faith No More yeah yeah dropped out of uni, but he was doing an English major. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah, where yeah. we see the side of him that he's he's always pulling little moments out of books and grabbing titles and yeah yeah and, always, and films as well you know film, yeah. films is a great example and as we go on through this album there's loads of little nods to 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 classic films to uh, underground films to directors there's all sorts going on in this particular album more than mm. in any other mm. yeah yeah so yeah, uh, I, I got I, shall I start off my brain. start off with a quote go on so this is Bill, uh, and he spoke to Adrian for Small Victories book in 2015. Patton was also heavily involved in the music for the even more going for the jugular, The Gentle Mart of Making Enemies. I had some riffs that I couldn't do anything with. Uh, that would be riffs, not rifts. Rifts. Uh, and Mike just took them and went home and rearranged the whole song. He came back the next day and was like, look what I did with those riffs you had. So, yeah, so we, this is a song written by um, Bill uh, and Mike Bordin and rearranged and put together by Mike Patton. Got it. With lyrics by Patton as well. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Um, this was a favourite for me, first listen, because yeah. I heard Digging the Grave. This is the second song I ever heard because Triple J played it before the album came out. And I loved it immediately. Like, it just stood out as being a really strong song. Yeah, and the thing that I love about this song is Patton's vocals. He's using, like, um, let me just count how many voices I've written down here. One, two, three, four. No, three. Sorry, three completely different voices. He's got the out-of-breath voice that we mentioned briefly in Get Out, but it's really more obvious in this. Yep. Um, and then he's got the growl where he spits those words out, and then he's got the full voice for the chorus. Um, and it's almost comical in parts. I think you can almost yeah. like have a little kind of nervous grin, not a ma- not a laugh, but a grin. You know, comes to your face when he's singing certain bits, and you just think you can imagine him in the studio, kind of like pulling faces as he as he as he as, as mm-hmm. he sings mm-hmm. this song. Um, but Patton is outstanding on this song you know it, 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 i wouldn't say it, it i wouldn't say it it, it it showcases his whole range of his voice because there's a lot of different voices Patton does that aren't on here but it, it really showcases his ability to shift from one voice to another seamlessly there's a big that the high note in the chorus is quite a big note as well so that it does it yeah, does show yeah, yeah. diversity oh it shows range oh yeah yeah it does yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um but this is i think we spoke about this when we did the album of the year episode, it's like this formula for this song is what they took forward for pretty much everything on, on album of the year. You know, it was, this, we did say that this song could have been, could quite easily have fitted on album of the year. That's right. Yeah. 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 Yep. But it, the, uh, the thing about this song too, because it still appeared in angel dust that Patton started experimenting with different vocal styles and different microphones, different, sounds so like jizz lobber for example like that that jumps around with 
different microphones and different effects. Malpractice has a bit of that going on. Like there's quite a few songs on Angel Dust that does this, but this song, exactly like you're saying, like there's three to four distinct sort of voices that was what I think evolved into like the Tomahawk thing, the Mr. Bungle thing later, like the pattern using different microphones and different stuff. Like this really sounds like the early stages of that. Yeah, yeah. Do you hear what totally. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I love, <clears throat> I mean, one, I mean, this has, the happy birthday fucker is such a unusual, simple line, but effective. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so memorable. That's, that's a, yeah, it's such a memorable, I mean, like, in <clears throat> when anybody wishes another um, f- friend happy birthday, um, on Facebook or whatever, particularly my mate Scotty. Shout out Scotty. Um, they always say "Happy Birthday, fucker," and they even yep. made the, you know they even made a T-shirt out of it. Did Faith No More? Um, Can I tell you a really cool moment in my life? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, in uh, around I think it was a 2010 reunion tour. Faith No More had played Soundwave, and then they did a show at uh, Horden Pavilion one or two nights later, and I was wearing. The next night, Glassjaw played. And Glassjaw are like my second favourite band. If you haven't listened to Glassjaw, they're fucking awesome. Um, I've heard bits, but not a lot. And Daryl Palumbo has... uh, I mean, they're kind of post-hardcore. He's got a sort of... Yeah, he's he's got a screamier voice in the earlier stuff. And then he's got like a... Yeah, he's got got a more unusual voice to pattern, but doesn't have quite the diversity, I guess. But... Um, Glassjaw played the night after Faith No More played the Horden, and I wore my Happy Birthday Fucker T-shirt to the Glassjaw show. And my mate Jeremy, shout out Jeremy, was uh, working for Sony at the time and had backstage passes. And Mm. after Glassjaw played, because Jimmy Eat World were headlining, Daryl was watching over the balcony watching Jimmy Eat World, and my mate Jeremy was standing backstage right near Daryl, Jeremy comes over to me and I said, dude, can you get Daryl? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he went over and he just said, would you mind coming over here and meeting my mate? And as Daryl Palumbo from Glassjaw walks toward me, he points at my shirt and he just goes, happy birthday, fucker. And like, (laughs) so the singer of my second favorite band sang words from my favorite band. And it was just one of the, and then I got a photo with him that's on a really shit old mobile phone camera. Um, that's okay, but yeah, I, but I got to meet Daryl and we chatted for a little while and he was lovely, but yeah, Daryl said happy birthday fucker to me. And that was awesome. Wow. That's cool. And so for the nice little story and for our three, our three listeners, the one, the one listener that knows Glassjaw will be really stoked on that story. <laughs> Look, it's this, these, these lyrics are very, um, uh, self-loathing. I think it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it, it, it's the lyrics are really like grinding and loaded with ag- angst and ab- abhorrence and, and self ridicule. I think, I mm-hmm. think, you know, they're quite intense uh, and they're great, you know, absolutely brilliant. There's a, a bit of repetition here, but not as much as some of the other songs. Um, but yeah, that the lyrics you're talking about, don't you look so surprised? Happy birthday, fucker. Blow that candle out. We're going to kick you. It, you. Do you know what I mean? It, they're just yeah. absolutely brilliant. And the, I think my favourite songs in the lyrics in this song, possibly on the album, are uh, Your Day Has Finally Come, So Wear the Hat and Do the Dance and Let the Soup Keep Wearing You. 
I mean, what a yep. great, great little visual that is. You know, yep. let the suit yep. keep yep. wearing you. Do you know what I mean? What a great little lyric that is. Yep. Absolutely brilliant. The the vocals and uh, lyrics in this song are exceptional. Um, did you mention also just the, because uh, I'm the best fuck that you ever had, I, I think it's just the the strength between the first and second, I guess you call those bridges, um because they're not really they're, they're post verse, but the um, the first time around it cycles with a happy birthday fucker, and then the second time he's just like I'm the best fuck that you are. Like it just gets a little bit more. Well, again, nasty. that's 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 another part that I always heard. Um, I deserve a reward because I'm the best subject you ever had. Oh, I always okay. heard that. Um, but when you look at the lyrics on the uh, in the album in the linear notes liner notes sorry uh yeah it's fuck but you know that's the way i always heard it i always heard the best subject you've ever had hmm. what's the line that he says um uh don't say you're not because you are don't say you're not because you are history tells us that you are history tells yeah, history us that tells you that. are and then the second time around there's always an easy way out. You need something wet in your mouth. There, there's always an easy way out. There's always an easy way out. You need something wet in your mouth. And then for him to just go, you know something wet in your oh, mouth? Oh, yeah, that's like brilliant. Yeah, It's yeah, almost yeah. Sparks-ish, but aggressive. But it's Yeah, yeah, and, and it goes unusual... back to what I said about possibly being comical. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you can't help but smile when he sings it in that way, even though it's such a an aggressive, not very uh, um, nice lyric wise song you can't help but have like a little kind of naughty little gr- uh, giggle at that I deserve a reward cause I'm the best fuck that you ever had and if I tighten up my horn you may never see the line again there's always an easy way out there's always an easy way out you need something wet in your mouth you need something wet in your mouth I just because he's capable as a singer of doing anything and you would expect him to deliver that with something more aggressive i guess you know and especially when he says the line before when he goes you need something wet in your mouth and he sort of says it a little bit more eh. yeah. and then just to follow it up with this like you know something wet in your mouth it's let like i remember actually sort of being younger and when i first i was like oh really you know, it was just yeah, such yeah, an yeah. unusual thing to do, but it's stellar. Like it's, yeah, it's such absolutely. a, it's such a cool thing. It's, a, you know, it's, it's daring as well. Like it's just not yeah. conventional. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of people say that Angel Dust influenced them, a lot of other artists and stuff, but I think a lot of singers in like the new metal movement and stuff were influenced by the way Patton, um, his performance on this album. Um, you know, because I don't think people were particularly doing these kind of vocals until Patton did them, to be honest with you, in the same kind of uh, uh, um, genre and the same kind of, you know, field of music. Mm. Oh, have you ever seen the Papa Roach cover of this? Uh, well, I was going to get on to that. Um, oh, okay. So according to Setlist <laughs> FM, yeah. <laughs> Set <laughs> FM, this has been played 285 times by Faith No More. It's in the top percent of, of songs they've played. Um, you know, for frequency, you know, it's it's well yeah. up there. Um, and it was played 
a lot in 1995. It was kept on going in 97 and 98. Uh, they brought it back in 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, and played it in 2015. So it's one of those songs that stuck with the band all the way through. Um, but if you do also look at Setlist FM, it's also been played 17 times by Papa Roach. Oh, um, now, I'm going to tell you that I've never heard the Papa Roach version. I'm not sure I want to. By one of our favorite bands, big influence also on us for a lot of years. Band by the name of Faith No More. Any Faith No More fans in the crowd? Fuck yeah. But right now it's a, it's it's very special because Billy Gould, the bass player, is standing right to my left and is making me completely and utterly very nervous. So here we go. This is our best shot, Billy. All right. This song's called The General Art of Making Enemies. Hey, no! Oh, I jinxed it right there. I jinxed it. Fuck me running. Start over. Do over. We suck, Billy. Just tell us. <laughs> it's, that, that sums it up. Mm-hmm. It, it's just bad. Right, well, yeah. I won't be, go- I won't be going and say then. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to go overboard with the guitar playing tonight, but I, I did mention those flat fifths that they come up throughout the uh, album. And this has got the um, in the you need something wet in your mouth bit. All of those have that. You get that. Yeah. Yeah, you get another one of those little flat fifty bits, which I always love pointing those out. The other thing is the uh, the verses, because they're really simple. Mm-hmm. Um the bass is, I don't, I, I think it's double tracked mm-hmm. because you basically hear through the verses, I feel like you hear the, the standard bass running straight down the middle and you can actually hear bass in both left and right ear, but they're playing pretty well exactly in time to the point that I actually think it's the same part just with like a stereo chorusy split. Yeah. I don't know exactly. It could have been triple tracked. It could be the one thing with just an effect on it to give it a stereo spread. But, yeah, both verses, you'll actually hear the bass guitar in the left and right ear. And then when it comes into the next section, that sort of drops away when the guitar comes in. But the um, really, really subtly, if you listen, um, the words are so familiar. So, so familiar, all the same grace to say. And then it goes... And you hear the guitar just do this little. There's a guitar in the verse. Okay. Very, very subtly. And it just creates this little bit of space within the verses. Cool. Uh, yeah. And the, the other thing that I wanted to say about this song uh, the vocals have a very live sound to them. And it. There's, um, you know, I mean, you're talking about the way he delivers it, but it's similar to the delivery. Like at the end of the song, the guitars do that cool, like the um, you know, the bit I'm talking about. Yeah, that little thing. It's like sort of what I was talking about before with Get Out, where there's like a little extra something to bring more life to it. You know what I mean? I do, yeah, yeah. 
this song, Get Out, um, Ugly in the Morning, and Digging the Grave, those four songs, I think they're also the four without keyboards. It almost like they could have been the Little King for a Day EP. Okay, got you. Yeah, I just uh, this song just has a really similar vibe to Get Out, yeah, Ugly yeah, in the Morning, yeah. and um, Digging the Grave. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Um, and it's probably got more to do with the lack of keyboards than anything else. But just production-wise, they're just very similar in vibe, mm-hmm. very live-sounding. Um, you know, at the ending when Patton's screaming, the I never felt this much alive, sounds like he's holding a... And that's like a, a brilliant ending as well. Again. Where it's, never felt this much yeah. alive! <gasps> and that's it. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah. a little, like, I think there's a little close symbol bit right at the end. And it's really cool, just abrupt, nice ending. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think my daughter's singing that. I think she's singing Katy Perry right now. <laughs> I, I do apologise to the, our listeners out there. You're going to have to put up with this as long as this self-isolation's in place. <laughs> Interruptions from my little children. They are still alive, by the way. Yep, they've come back to life now and they're annoying me again. Oh, that's good. Yep. Right, yeah, okay. Um, so is that... Right, is, I, think I think that's it. Right, so yeah, we're going to stop there talking about the album and then we're going to pick it up. Uh, we did say we we're going to try to do a few more episodes, seeing as though, you know, the way things are with the uh, planet at the moment, didn't we? Yeah, we might be able to squeeze a few more in in a shorter... Yep. Try and get try and get yep, the might. whole of um, King for a Day done in the near future. Look, we were going to stick in a, a, a an episode discussing the possibility of what Faith and More were going to play in the set list for the upcoming gigs. But, the ultimate set list. But, I think that might be on hold. Yeah, we'll put that on hold until they're, they're, we know when they're going to be playing. Yeah, we'll get to that. Well, uh, let's talk new music. Yep. Uh, I'll, can I kick off today? Uh, of course, Jim. Okay, well, we've got a lot of new music that we'll discuss from members of Faith No More, which is great. So the first one, and I'm, the only reason I'm putting it first is because it's the most recent. You can hear a new song from Roddy Bottom. The song is called David Says, and it's a new track from an album he has recorded. Well, he recorded it back in 2018, actually, with the French instrumental group Hi-Fi Club. The album is called Things That Were Lost in the Fire, and it's going to be released in June. Now, it's a cool little song, really like upbeat um, electro song. And Roddy is spoken word, pretty similar to what he does at the beginning of Motherfucker. That's oh. David Says. You can listen to it now on fnmfollowers.com. So that's the first oh, okay. bit of new music. Shall I continue? Got some more. So yeah, the next bit of new music I want to talk about is um, the new song from the Talking Book Project, which is Bill Gould, Dominic Cramp and Jared Blum. So they released an album together in 2011, and now they're releasing Talking Book 2, which is out on April the 24th on Cool Arrow. Now, the first song, it's not really a song. It, the whole album is all kind of interweaved. It's an atmospheric, cinematic kind of uh, mood album. It's called Thermal Drift. And there's a bit of spiel from... Cool Arrow Records, which I'll read out. Though the approach to creating the record has been uniquely their own, there are obvious echoes of Eno's earliest ambient projects and his 
Bowie collaborations, 60s Serbian and Czech soundtracks, English folk and coastal melodies intertwining, prog guitars met with dusty electro acoustic tape music and Lynch's Eraserhead score. Bill says, We have originally thought it would be easy to follow up our debut album from 2011, but in fact it was a journey that took years. It was a wild ride, but in my opinion it was totally worth the effort. It enabled us to really dig deep and get this the way we wanted it. I feel like we have created a soundtrack to a film that can only be seen through listening. That's really cool. A little description mm. to it. Uh, anyway, you can check out Thermal Drift. Uh, again, go to fnmfollowers.com to hear that. By the time we get this episode out, there might be something else you can listen to um, from the album. But I won't say anything just in case we get this, al- this episode out before Bill releases the next little taster of it. So, yeah. Awesome. I really like what I've heard of that so far. And look, I got a lot of insight into this when I was in San Francisco, because as I said earlier on this episode, I was hanging out with Jared. Um, Jared was amazing. He took us around, showed us some Tory stuff. Then I saw Jared and Dominic do a little live gig in the afternoon before Mr. Bungle. I've had a lot of insight into this project, and I'm, it's something that's quite close to me at the moment. Definitely check cool. that out. Right, okay. I'll, I'll start with my new music that's not Faith No More related, and then... You go into related. Um, Bambara, I assume that's how you say their name. It wouldn't be Bambara. Bambara. I, I actually mentioned them when they had a single come out um, a couple of episodes ago, um, but they've now released their album Stray. Um, they're a post-punk band from Brooklyn. I think I said that when, when they had that single out that there was like a, a new wave sort of thing because there is that sort of 80s element to it, but it is, it's a real sort of post-bunk sort of vibe. Very cool. Check that one out. There's um, this dude. The album's not great, but it's really interesting. It's by a guy named Casa Overall. Um, it's jazz. <laughs> Casa Overall. Yeah. Oh, hang on. I had the album name here too. Um it's uh oh, he's called the album i think i'm good um but it's like a, it's like jazz hip-hop um the guy is actually a drummer and i think he was a session like a session jazz drummer i think is what the story is but he's um also always done a bit of rap and he's combined it into this unusual sort of jazz hip-hop music he's from seattle I was hearing a lot of like outcast, like the Love Below era outcast sort of vibes to it, but it's a lot more fragmented than that. Like it's a little bit more unusual again, a little bit Radiohead-ish, like elements of Kanye as well, but it's like, um, it's more in the hip hop sort of world, but um, I liked it because it was just, it was interesting. Lots of pianos and stuff in there too. Like it's, it's unusual. Just putting Kanye West in there has put me off immediately. Yeah, uh, yeah. See, I, I, yeah. See, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of Kanye, but sometimes I don't know some stuff of his I really like, and then other stuff I just find him completely pretentious and not bothered at all. I like that cover he did of the Thomas the Tank Engine theme tune. That was good. Wasn't that someone else's matchup? <laughs> no, that that was Kanye West playing that. <laughs> Definitely, I'm hundred percent sure. He's brilliant though. <laughs> um. I wasn't really that excited about the new Childish Gambino that just happened, but I only gave that one run through. Um, uh, this is this dude's not really well known at all, but I heard him on the NPR do a great podcast called All Songs Considered, and a lot of the things that I 
end up sharing his favorite new music I've discovered through All Songs Considered. Um, but they recommended this guy called Ian William Craig. I know nothing about him, um, but Ian William Craig has done an album called Red, Red Sun Through Smoke. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's got an interesting story where he was recording the album. I don't know if he was in Australia or if he was in California or somewhere else because they were telling the story about how he um, wrote the album when there were bushfire warnings and, you know, like he was actually starting to exp- – like he had smoke coming into his studio and eventually he had to bail and then he finished the rest of the album uh, with his where his grandfather was dying or something. Or I, I probably could have paid more attention, but the music Sounds itself like it. is just – it's mostly – yeah, it's mostly um, – there are actually kind of like Radiohead sort of vibes to this almost Portishead, but it's way more um, just ambient, chill, but unusual. Like lots of, he works with a lot of like um, tape, reel to reel, but half broken stuff, um, pianos and singing, but then sometimes just degraded tape and then just sound. So it gets a little bit like some of the ambient Nine Inch Nails stuff, like some stuff that Trent Reznor does as well. It's not the kind of thing that I usually listen to. And a lot of this stuff I recommend, The half the reason I struggle to explain it is because it's not what I usually listen to. But I really liked it. I really, really liked it. I've, I've only played it all the way through once over the weekend, and I'll definitely be listening to this one again and again. It's really good. And William Craig, yep. So the next new music we should discuss is the live recordings album released by Chuck Mosley. And who better to tell us all about this than Doug Esper? Beep, beep, Richie. It's time for the Chuck Stop. Chuck Stop! Beep, beep! Welcome to the Chuck Stop. As you guys have just found out recently, in fact, the list dropped today... Although you won't be listening to this today, so that's sort of awkward. But Chuck Mosley has a live record coming out for Record Store Day, April 18th. I'm going to take some questions uh, from our audience. Let's see here. This one is from Douglas from Cleveland. He wants to know, what is First Hellos and Last Goodbyes? Well, that is a live record compiled from songs from Chuck's Reintroduce Yourself Tour, which took place 2016 to 2017. The songs are all VUA songs and uh, songs from Chuck's solo record uh, that were performed live. Let's see here. Another question. What are these songs? None of them look like Faith No More tunes. Uh, This question is from Douglas in Cleveland. Uh, Yes, uh, there are no Faith No More tunes. There are no Bad Brain songs. There are no Cement songs. Basically, we decided to, if you want to hear Chuck with Faith No More, you've got two records and plenty of bootlegs out there. Same with the other or other bands. We, we, we wanted to avoid any licensing issues, kind of showcase what we were doing on the tour and what Chuck was working on over the last few years uh, of his life. Let's see here. Uh, Doug in Cleveland wants to know, why is this coming out on Record Store Day? Yes, I understand for some people Record Store Day can be a hassle if you don't have a record store near your house, if you can't take off work, or if you don't like waking up in the morning like myself, or you don't have a record player, it can be a hassle. But the economics of it are that Record Store Day allows a little band like ours uh, to get distributed worldwide and get some promotion that we otherwise wouldn't have had. The difference between this year and last year is last year's release for Chuck was a Record Store Day exclusive, meaning those won't be pressed again as 
far as I know ever. But this is a record store day first, meaning that the label has the option to repress uh, more copies if there's demand. Uh, next question, Doug in Cleveland. Uh, did Chuck want a live release? Yes. Even before we started practicing together, when we were just talking about the tour, Chuck expressed a desire to put out a live album. He likes the live setting, and also we thought that at that point that none of those songs would ever get recorded in a studio um, so this was kind of our only way to get them out. There's a little snippet on the record of Chuck talking about this, um, very thing. So that'll prove it to you if you're skeptical. Let's see, Doug in Cleveland wants to know, will it be released on CD or digitally? What about 8-track? Well, again, the label has the option of, if there's the demand, to release it on CD and digitally or cassette i doubt eight track but you never know it might make a comeback with the cd and with the digital release my hope is that we will be able to expand the release because with the record we could, we had to be under 45 minutes of audio whereas with the cd or digitally we don't have those restraints so you may see more tracks in the future but i'm not 100 percent. let's see here Doug in Cleveland wants to know, says, this is so dumb. Why didn't you use songs from the show in my city? Good, good question. Again, we only had 45 minutes to work with, and we also didn't have recordings in every city. There were plenty of phone recordings or camera recordings that people sent that just either weren't great quality or maybe weren't the best performances or they only caught certain songs that we didn't use. Um, so I'm sorry. But again, if you look online on YouTube and stuff, there are things and hopefully there's something from your city. If you do have a recording that you don't think we've heard, I would highly encourage you to send that audio to me I'd or video to me. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to see it. The album is called First Hellos and Last Goodbyes. There are eight tracks, and if you read the press release, you know that there's a, <laughs> a hidden track, which is now not hidden or secret. Some of them are taken from, I think there's three from the London show in 2016, two from Manchester, two from Huntsville, Alabama in 2017, and one from Knoxville, Tennessee. Let's see, this last question is... Uh, Doug in Cleveland says, remember in Pittsburgh when? Yes, I do remember in Pittsburgh when, and I'll say this, Chuck and I often went off on tangents and made weird jokes and told stories and, and on stage, sometimes because he was nervous, sometimes because we were just killing time, sometimes just because we like to make each other laugh. Over the course of 160 shows, sometimes you say things, it gets a little awkward, but yeah, Pittsburgh, well here, let me, let me play it for you. That's awful kind of you out there. Thank you. Show of hands, who here has seen Chuck Mosley live before? Hi. You see me dead. A lot less crabby that way. Everything. So yeah, there's certain moments on stage that maybe you wish you could take back, but it was funny at the time. First hellos and last goodbyes will be released April 18th by Block Global Records. Um, eight live tracks. Uh, we really hope that you will help us spread the word on the release, and please go out to your local record store and pick up a copy. 
Uh, it means the world to us, and it's the only way that we can assure that Chuck's solo record will also see a release in the near future, uh, and we really, really, really want that to happen. I think it's a great record, and it needs to be out in the world. Thanks a lot. Back to you guys. Uh, new music as well from another member of Faith No More is from Mike Patton. Uh, obviously, Mike Patton's keeping busy. Who? Who? Who's that? <laughs> Who? Who? <laughs> Yeah, Mike Patton's keeping busy, as per usual. Got two releases that have come out recently. Um, The first one is a cover of the Cramps classic song. Uh, I'm saying the Cramps classic song, Human Fly. I'd never heard of it until this. I knew who the Cramps were. My brother used to listen to them when I was a kid. So yeah, it's uh, a cover of their song, Human Fly. And he's featuring with the band Zeus, the Italian duo. And this is from an upcoming album compiled by 31G, which is Justin Pearson's uh, record label. And the album is called Really Bad Music for Really Bad People, The Cramps as Heard Through the Meat Grinder of 31G. And uh, there's a cool little video out for it as well, directed by Displaced Replaced. Um, And it's a cool song. I really like it. Mike Patton's done a great job on it. Have you heard it? No, I saw I saw your post from FNM followers like today. Okay. Was it how how recently did you post it? I posted it on the thirteenth of March. Ten days ago. Oh. So I know I know how to Facebook. <laughs> but yeah, it's cool. Did it come out ten days ago? Ten ten more more than ten days. Shit. But check it out, it's cool. Uh, second thing from Mike Patton is another now another song. In fact, I'm not sure whether we've mentioned this. I don't think any of these songs are out in the last episode when we spoke about it. But um, Tatima, yeah, we did because we were discussing how you say Tatima or Tatima. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, How Um, are you saying it? Tatima. I thought you were saying Tatima. Tatima. Yeah, that could be it. Anyway, now there's three songs you can hear. The recent one that was released was Soliloquy. And the first one was Haunted on the Uptake, which I think we've discussed already. Another one was Wait Till Morning. All from the duo's second album, Necroscope, which is out on April the 4th. I also didn't see these. I'm I'm really interested to hear those. Oh, I can't okay. believe it. But yeah, get, yeah well, you can get out there the and you can listen to um, those songs now. And I think that's it for Mike Patton at the moment. And one other thing I'd like to mention is Buzz Osborne is releasing a new album, very soon a new solo album, and he's recorded that with... That dude who plays in Trevor Dunn. Mr. Bungle, that's the guy. Yes, Mr. Dunn. Uh, there's a single out right now, which is called Science in Modern America. And that's the first single from that album. The album is called... I didn't see that either. Uh, the album is called Gift of Sacrifice, and that's out in May. It's uh, May 15th. So you can also... You can actually check that out on, on uh, FNM followers. Uh, that is actually up there. Plus, they... Well, they have got a load of dates, a live dates across America uh, in May and June. They haven't been cancelled yet, but let's just assume they're probably going be gonna be. And then I've got one thing more to mention on new music, which is the new Therapy album. Seeing as I've already spoke about Therapy a couple of times in this episode. That's how you have to say it. Therapy. Anyway, they've released the greatest hits and it's re-recordings of of some of their great songs like Teeth Grinder and Opal Mantra. And to be honest with you, I listened to the album, loving Therapy, loving the songs that have been put on it, but... I think the re-recordings have lost a lot from the originals. There's not that they haven't got the same vibe. Um, I recommend you go listen to it because it's cool to listen to it. But 
I'd rather listen to the originals of the songs. And that is my new music. Anything else from Mr. Mike? No, no, that's it. Okay. That's, uh, I did my three. Oh, my mouth's gone all dry from so much talking. <laughs> right, let's get on to uh, news, and we have a shit ton of news. Do we not? We have a shit ton of news. I, I'm, I'll do the jingle. FNM News! Excellent. Yep. Right, so, where do we start? Right, let's start... At the beginning. Actually, can you begin at the end? <laughs> to save some time? Yeah, I can. Right, that's it. See ya. <laughs> so the big news is now we have the evidence that Mr. Bungle have re-recorded Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny. Yeah. Um, so obviously there's been loads of speculation. All the um, little hints that uh, Trevor Dunn's been posting and Scott Ian's been posting or as you call him, Ian, uh, on <laughs> social media. All the, yeah, the, the photos from the recording studio. But uh, in two recent articles uh, by Revolver magazine, Trey Spruance has spoken about this re-recording. So it's happening. There's no news on when it's going to come out yet. Um, we do know it's going to be released via Ipecac, which we, we, you know, I think we would have uh, guessed anyway. Um, but there is a couple of quotes I can read from this. First one I'll read from Scott Ian. Ian Scott, Scotty, Mr. Ian. Holy crap, the song sounds so great. Every day at the studio was like Christmas morning for me. Each song we finish, another present. I don't know if I'm more excited about this record as a fan of Mr. Bungle or as a member of Mr. Bungle. Either way, I can't wait for the world to hear it. But yeah, basically, I don't know where I need to read the quotes. You can go, you can go onto Faith the More Followers and find the links to this, or you can just go to Revolver magazine and, and find the interviews. It's in two parts. But Trey has basically told us that they have recorded the whole demo. Is it the whole demo? or is it? They've definitely recorded Grizzly Adams. They've added that one and Evil Satan. And um, they've also recorded some of the covers that they'd played live. And he hasn't elaborated which covers. So it's going to be a bit longer than the uh, previous demo. It doesn't say anything about... Uh, what, what's the fun- really funky song on the demo that they kind of... Hypocrites? Skipped around. Uh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't say anything about a version of that. But I, I, we haven't seen anything evidence of any horns. So the Evil Satan recording might be a bit more stripped down as well. Mm. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So that's that's recorded and awaiting release. By the sounds of it, get on there, check those uh, interviews out if you want to know more about the upcoming release of Mister Bungle's Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny re-recorded. It would be cool if they released it for Easter, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, is it? That's what I was expecting, but I guess not. Yeah. Um. So yeah, this leads into some um, news about Dead Cross. Michael Crane, guitarist of Dead Cross, posted two pictures on social media of himself and Patton with the caption, like two kids in a candy store listening to the new Dead Cross rough mixers. So it does look like while Mr. Bungle have been in the studio, obviously with having Dave Lombardo there, it's been an opportunity for Patton to work on the Dead Cross stuff as well. So hopefully we'll see a release of that in the near future. That'd be cool. Yes. Well, I mean, do you have much more for news? Because yes. we haven't talked about faith. Okay. Yes. Uh, well, I'll, I'll finish the the news segment and then we'll get on to 
you know, the current situation and how it will that. affect Faith No More. So um, this is about the um, film director, Danny Elfman, who we all know from his amazing soundtracks to great films such as, um, well, it, it, who's the director that he always works with? Um, what's he called? Uh, so he did Batman, he did uh, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, of course, Tim Burton. Yeah, he was at a Mr. Bungle gig. He was at the third show in LA and he posted a oh. photo on his Instagram and this is what he put. Uh, at the Mr. Bungle show last night, really amazing. Mike Patton is insane, insanely talented. I'd love to steal his voice. I know there are others who can sing with the same ferocity as an angry grizzly bear seized by the spirit of a psychopathic banshee. And there's hmm. others who can also croon with the very best of the crooners and perfectly capture the spirit of 60s Italian pop singers but seriously no human can do both effortlessly not like Mike Patton I actually think he may not be human and of course you know when you think about those Tim Burton films um Danny DeVito starred as the penguin in in Batman 2 and he was hanging out at the um the bungle gigs too I I wouldn't class that as news but it's quite a a cool little tidbit for you and the last bit of news is um actually quite sad um, the legend that is Ray Burton, Cliff Burton's dad, he passed away, mm. sadly. Uh, he was aged 94, and yeah, he tragically passed away on Tuesday the 19th of, of, of February. And, um, you know, we haven't got together to do, to talk about things for a while. So, so yeah, um, good old Ray. Well, he still, he still really r- remained active in the um, yeah. Metallica community too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I listened to a great interview in the Metal Up Your podcast. He actually did a... I don't know if he did more than one episode, but he um he he stayed in contact with those guys for quite a while and um did did an episode with them. Yeah, he's he's always supported Metallica. He's always at the gigs and stuff. Um, yeah, Puffy shared a tribute to his friend on Faith Lamar's social media, and it said R.I.P. to the great Ray Burton. Hard to put into words my gratitude to him for all his kindness and his incredible character. What a huge gift to have had that in my life for 45 years. Truly one of a kind. Mm. And mm. so that is my conclusion on news that's related to Faith No More. And so let's just discuss Faith No More themselves for the next few minutes. Since we last spoke, they've announced uh, the Australian tour and the America tour with Corn, joint headlining with Corn. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. I love you. Now, back to our show. Uh, so, here we go. This is... this is We've done about four little drop-ins on this episode now. This all began on the 19th of March, and now we're going to do a little drop-in to talk about Faith No More News. Specifically, Faith No More. Faith No More News! Changes to the live dates for Faith No More. We've had some information on what's happening, COVID-19 related... So we thought, let's just bring this whole episode up to date. We're about to let it all go live. Let's stay current. So, uh, what's Since happening? we've recorded, I've actually caught the virus and recovered from it. So there you go. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Do you legit think you got it? Def- you definitely, mate. You, you didn't yeah, get tested, yeah. did you? you I couldn't, could, no, I can't you get, get tested, tested, but I'm, I'm pretty confident I got it. And I've been, been in self-isolation. Well, not self-isolation, family isolation for... Oh, what, eight days now, nine days? Yeah, but I, I'm pretty confident I've caught it. What were the symptoms? What what makes you think you had it? Um, well, my cock started oozing this really horrible green pus, <laughs> um, which is where all the toilet rolls went. 
uh, and then <laughs> right, I grew and a thir- I grew a second that. head, uh-huh. um, and my uh, ears fell off, and I'm n- and now I'm completely bald all over. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Stay inside, people. Yeah, stay inside. That's that's, that's if if you hand. if you want to know anything from Uncle Jim from this episode, stay inside. <laughs> Definitely stay inside. Oh man, wow! I now look but like legit, sloth you, from the Goonies. You, you, you. <laughs> oh man, I haven't seen that movie in ages. I was just about to impersonate him. I'll leave okay. it. Up. I'll leave hey, it. Hey, you guys. Um, <laughs> fuck. Right, um, should we talk about you legit, you, right? Should we talk? You, you legit really think you got coronavirus? You you had uh, horrible I'm, flu-like I'm, symptoms. Yeah, I'm ninety percent positive. Yeah, shit. Okay. Yeah, without test, you can't obviously be a hundred percent positive. But mm-hmm. yeah, I had those symptoms, and it was pretty horrible. Damn. So uh, t- let's uh, let's talk faith no more. You've got the you got the info there. Yeah. in front of you. Yeah, um, do you want me to read the quote from the band? Yes. Yep. <clears throat> the circumstances that have forced this decision are well beyond our control, <laughs> but not being able to play for you all stings like a motherfucker. We wanted to figure out how to address our upcoming tour down there in terms of rescheduling and postponements, but basically, hmm, we fully intend to make good on our promise to come down and perform for you all. Hold on to your tickets, postponement dates are as follows. These new dates don't work, we'll refund your ticket. Thank you for supporting us and our quest for public safety. We'll see you soon, Billy, John, Mike, Mike and Roddy. That sounds like if you were to sum up all their voices into one caricature of faith no more that's what the band sound like well i think you should add an effect to that like a like a crackly old radio effect so it sounds like a a, a wartime radio announcement oh yeah i can that, i can use good. a little um yeah uh, warped vinyl yep thing do it. too do yep. it okay i can yep. I'll, I'll do that so what i what i respect is that the most annoying thing when a band cancels a tour is that then if you were sitting there at the time that tickets were going on sale and you're stressing and your heart's pounding and you really want a ticket, if you're getting told we're going to cancel and reschedule, we're going to give you a refund and you have to go through that whole lot of bullshit again, that's really frustrating. The fact that they're saying to fans, your tickets are still valid, here are the new dates, uh, and if it doesn't work for you, you get a refund, I think that's the best way that they can handle it and I'm really pleased that our tickets in Australia are still valid. What I did and what I was made aware of today via Andy Bowie, um, he pointed out that if you want a refund, you need to request that by the seventeenth of April. Um, so that's the only that's the only thing that I think. I, I feel like that's a, a very tight timeline. I feel like they could give people a bit of bit a bit more no, or a bit more time to allow for the refund request if that's what they realise they need. Because we're we're talking fucking ten months out. Till these shows are running. I don't know what I'm doing in February, but I, I assume that I'm going to see Faith No More now. But at the same time, we're all locked down right now, so there's no way that we haven't received that information if we had tickets, right? Right. So where do you think that leaves us with the rest of the tour? Um, I would assume that the beginning dates of Europe will definitely be cancelled. When you say that the um, some of the countries in Europe are just starting out with this crisis, 
Um, some of the countries are in the worst part, but I don't think see any recovery um, within the next month, the next two months. Um, so I could definitely guess that Europe and the UK would be cancelled. And Faith Lamar yep. would probably pick up with the US dates later on in the year. You might imagine so. Look, I mean, we didn't hear anything from them and we're updating our news now because the news that we recorded a week or two ago, whenever it was, we were hypothesising about the fact that it was likely that they'd be cancelling these shows, which they've now, you know, done that first lot of that with the Australian and uh, New Zealand dates. They sat quietly and we didn't hear anything from them. And we all assumed that this is what's happening. And we all started to see that different events were being cancelled. I know Coachella was uh, moved till later in the year. Blues Fest was cancelled in Australia. There, there were a number of heaps, heaps of things. There's a, I had a bunch of tickets for shows in April. And I never, I, I don't, I feel like April was the biggest month I had for concerts and tickets pre-planned. It just happened to be a really busy month for me. And it, it, was, it was just the worst. So many things have been uh, now either cancelled or postponed. But the band sat quietly and now we get this this news and what we've been shown is that they sat quietly and now we're being told new dates. So I'm running on the assumption and we can imagine that what they're doing in the background right now, New Zealand and Australia is taken care of. There's a couple of dates about to happen in the US, then they're moving on to the UK. In all likelihood they're starting to tee up reschedule dates and they're trying to figure that out. They're sitting there quietly because they can't say anything right now and we're inevitably going to hear about those new dates. Would you say that's a fair assumption? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah look, that, I think they're Faith No More are the type of band that aren't going to let the fans down. They are going to do whatever it takes to do these gigs just when they it's possible for and safe for the guys to do them. And yep. the discussion we had before we recorded this, which nobody will ever hear. Um, mm. we did say, I, I think I said that they would have to fit it around Mike Patton's schedule because Mike Patton has obviously got a lot of things going on at the moment. And, but I think faith in them all will take preference over the other things that Mike Patton may have had scheduled in. Because it's a yep. big tour, it takes a lot of organising, there's a lot of people involved in it, a lot of people's paychecks, a lot of fans, a lot more fans to keep happy than, say, Mr Bungle, or Tomahawk, or... Or Eve, Dead Cross. Or Dead Cross, yeah. Well, Mr. yeah. Mr. Obviously, Faith No More stretches out to a hell of a lot more people. So it's a much bigger business... So this is the thing that they need to secure first and then Mike Patton will surely work around that. Yeah. Yeah. So look, I, I guess, uh, actually, I, I do want to, I know that I've sarcastically plugged Andy Bowie's website, but sincerely, go and have a look at fnmlive.com. Click through to the dates that are sitting there for 2020. I was blown away when I clicked it just so that I could see what's changed and what, uh, where things were sitting for Faith No More so we could prepare for this discussion. And there are so many dates lined up for the rest of the year. So they've got a lot of work to do, and we don't know when things are going to be okay again, but go and have a look at that site 
for what's happening in 2020. There's going to be a bunch of reschedule for 2021, but um, yeah, I guess time will tell. We're going to um wrap this episode, and uh, at least this will go live, and we'll we're actually going to endeavor to release another one real soon and get back on top of podcast croissants. So, anything more from you, bro? Just stay at home, kids. Stay home. Listen to Uncle Jim and Uncle Mike. Stay at home. <laughs> oh, we, do we want to try and do a watch party soon? Should we try and do something like that? We mm. can, I, I could go live and shave my ass. And people could watch me do that if they want. Or we could watch a Faith No More show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah let, let's... Um, we'll, we, we'll attempt to get a little bit more busy on the, the Facebook and Instagram social thing and just see what the vibe is see what a good time is to do it let's try and do a watch party let's try and all um stay in touch and everyone stay safe stay healthy stay home stay home you've been listening to podcast croissant this is mike and this is jim and i deserve a reward because i'm the best fuck to do ever had It, I think it's a real shame because, you know, they'd faith well, When the wife being... walks in with her arms crossed, looking really cross, you know it's time to round up this episode. You need to be homeschooling <laughs> your kids. I need to be homeschooling my kids, apparently. Because I'm going to Sounds like you're getting schooled. she's going to lose her mind. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, we're pretty much done. But, uh, yeah, yeah, look, it's, it's, a real, it's a real shame that they had been the band had been completely silent we'd heard nothing from them then all of a sudden you know they're doing posts then we get announcements faith no more are back they they do show announcers then they announce australian shows ahead of the uk shows and they announce the tour in the and it's, it's just a real shame that all that hype has led up to what is looking like cancellations and i really 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 hope that it does get rescheduled and i really hope that they still get the excitement and ticket sales that um, they've been able to achieve this first time around. Yeah, and I will say that on social media, Bill has been encouraging people to stay at home. He's been posting a lot of advice and stuff like that. He's been very proactive. Keep social distancing. Yeah. Keep away from each other, bitches.
enjoy the evening, friends? That's good, because I feel kind of naked, but it's just... Do we have time for one more? All right, man. Right over here? here. Yeah, yes. Yeah. You can come to me. Okay. If you will. Thank you. It's actually a question for Scott. How is it playing in this bungle? Oh, <laughs> dude. It's amazing. I get to, I get to go do that tonight. Have you seen time. it? Has anybody here seen it? Yeah. Uh, you have it on the other yeah. show? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Heavy as fuck. It's so heavy. <laughs> I went to the L.A. show, and I'm so stoked that I get to see it again tonight, because it's crushing. Like, this dude's, uh, your hands, I've you never seen you play that fast for that long. It's, it's, so I'm, I'm a lot, I'm, I've been a Patton fan since, I mean, like, I'll just back, I'll, I'll backdate it a little bit. Back in July, I texted him to just say congratulations on this song I heard. I saw it online, I saw a video, it was some song he had just put out with some French crooner guy. And I'm a big fan of Mike's, and I follow like every band he's in. And, uh, and uh, so I just texted him, hey man, I heard that thing, and the song is really cool. What's up, hope all is well. And then like he immediately replies, like it's so weird, your ears must be burning because we've been talking about you and Dave Lombardo for like the last three days. And I was like, who's we? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, me and Trey and Trevor, he goes, hear me out, we got this crazy idea. He's like, you remember Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny, which was a, a, a demo tape that Mr. Bungle put out in 1986. And uh, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's like buried in storage somewhere. And uh, he goes, yeah, well, we're thinking about uh, resurrecting all that music from back then. And if you and Dave would be in the band with us, then we would go do it because you, you guys are like the biggest inspiration because it was... Slayer and Anthrax and S.O.D. were like the biggest inspiration on those guys when they were 16, writing the, that music when they became Mr. Bungle. So I was like, yeah, I'd fucking, I w I'd fucking fart on stage for 90 minutes if that's what you were doing with Mr. I don't care. I get to be in Mr. Bungle? The answer is yes. And uh, so yeah, so now I get to do that. And uh, you know, if you're not familiar with that material, it's the best thrash metal record you've never heard. Wow. I'm not kidding. It's fucking. It's so, it's so fucking brutal. It's like I try and explain to people. It's like S.O.D. Slayer and Frank Zappa all rolled into because <laughs> the arrangements are fucking insane. And they're like some songs are six and a half minutes and they have 28 fucking parts that don't repeat. And uh, trying to learn it was a mindfuck. But uh, it's amazing. And uh, um, yeah, so it's. It's so fucking great to get to do this. It's awesome. Right on. Thank you guys so much. Thanks you guys for having me. Hold on to your tickets. Postponement dates are as follows. If these news dates don't work, we'll refund your ticket. Why did my wife have to walk into the room while I was speaking in this voice? And I'm going to have to do it. Shut the damn door!